I am about to make history For the first time, we have consecutive bandy openings to the podcast. Oh, God. History, it is. Um, Just, you know, we're a pod for the people. People want it. They can't have. They can't get enough of it. Get text all day. Hey, need more Vandy coverage. Yeah. Get text from Vandy alums. Hey, gonna need more discussion on Vandy's offense. What you think the future outlook is? No. All jokes aside, of course, after we finish recording on Sunday, we find out that Derek Mason has been fired by of Vandy. Of course, right? So. We didn't necessarily get a chance to talk about it on Sunday. So instead of just kind of talking about, you know, because by now everybody's kind of seen the the rhetoric around Mason, we'll, we'll give him a little bit of his time, but we're going to talk about some, some of those candidates and just kind of the unique situation that Vandy is and why it yeah. impacts the SEC. We will, of course, run through all of the games. We're going to run through playoff rankings thoughts. We have many of those, despite the fact that the top seven remain unchanged. Yeah. And a guy by the name of Jacob Hester, I think we've heard of him uh, before, uh, he, he joined us. So he will be talking not as much Bama LSU, more so just big picture LSU. Because when a game is a 28-point spread, you probably don't want to, you know. It's, it's called sportsmanship, Connor. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it, but every now and then when it's a guy like Hester who has great hair, you know, I'll, I'll dabble in it. Good head of hair. We don't say that enough about yeah. Hester. Very solid head of hair. Not to his face, no. Yeah, we'd never say that to his face. Come on. <laughs> that, was, that was in the office. Should, like, why you wouldn't you say that? That's a nice thing. So we should that's rank Michael. the hair in the SEC. Like, I mean, him and, and Jordan Rogers have to be top two. Does Jesse Palmer count? Ah, uh, no, no. I mean, he's not. He's on a league of his own. He's too national. Ridiculous. Yeah, he's definitely got the I best would rank stubble. His hair and his and his scruff one two. Yeah, it's the best combination hair to scruff ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that they're they're pretty much in a class of their own for sure. Yeah. But before we get to everything that we have today, Marler got that Texas Pete wing sauce in the fridge. Nice little addition Ooh. to the O'Gara household. As I was saying the other day, very very excited about that. Going to cook up some chicken tomorrow. Going to have full use for it. Did not use it on the ham. Didn't want to. Didn't want to go there. We did pound through some Hawaiian rolls, though. Um, that was that was going to be. Did obvious. you know they had a twenty-four pack? I have not seen the twenty-four pack at our Publix, but yes, I did know that there was a twenty-four pack because who doesn't eat Hawaiian rolls by the twenty-four pack? Dude, it, it was it was like you know when you go to the carnival and there's like just a ridiculous sized bear. It's like, hey, if you hit like three shots in a row on this like rigged game, you somehow get this stupid thing. You I used to always with. win those. They're great. Sick brag. Yeah. Um, so. They had this thing set up next to like the Starbucks at a Kroger, and it, it looked exactly like that. It, it was like just dwarfing all the other Hawaiian rolls. It was, it was a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Um, I definitely got a giant pack of Hawaiian rolls and several, several, several bottles of Texas Pete, because I told you my, my cooking prowess uh, for Thanksgiving and what I did to that, that, that bird. I feel bad about it, Yikes. but it was still really good. Um, the downside, it did leave me empty-handed with a bottle of Texas Pete. So I went back out to the store. I got re-upped to close out 2020 very strongly. Um, make sure you do the same thing if you want it on your ham. I don't advise that. Eggs. I put it on shrimp last night. Mm. Allie was not pleased because she made her uh, a homemade recipe, and I doused it in Texas Pete. Regardless, Texas Pete makes everything better. It's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great appetizer. It's a great, you know what? Cools you off on a hot day, warms you up on a cold day. It, it does all things. 
Make sure you get some Texas Pete today. Derek Mason fired. There are a lot of people in the SEC who look at that headline and say, Vandy is less significant to me than a fly on my back. I don't care. Unless there's a kicker involved. This is true. This is true. Then we need to get very big mad online about that. But I think that there are things about Vandy that I think are just so, so unique. And it's something that to understand why the SEC has sprinted ahead of Vandy and why this position is unique is worth understanding. If you are a fan of college football and if you want to understand the dynamics at play here. So even during a pandemic, which this is something that we've talked about a lot, Derek Mason is indeed fired. Yep. Didn't matter that there are budget cuts at a place like Vandy. They still said, you know what? A year eight for a coach who's not going to win a game in the SEC this year, who just lost 41 to nothing to a year one coach, Neil Drinkowitz. Uh, can't really get behind that. Candace Story right. Lee, the new athletic director, she's like, nope, not taking any part of that. I'm going to ultimately try and bring in someone new. I like Derek Mason. We've said before some some good things about him on this podcast, mm-hmm. about how inspiring he is and how he can kind of make you forget that he was coaching a program destined for the SEC basement, a program that yeah. admittedly didn't care about big-time college athletics in the way that everybody else in this conference did. But this still comes back to going 10-46 and 46 against SEC competition. That's just not good enough. No, it was an odd, it was odd timing because it was like this feel-good story of the weekend and then he was fired shortly after. I was more surprised by this than I was Muschamp just because Vandy hasn't really gone out of their way to – I mean, he could have been fired last year. You know what I mean? Or like – like I don't think – I mean, it's 0-8, but it's not like – The flux with the much. athletic department probably prevented right. that from, from happening, and there was a lot of turnover within the athletic department when you're switching athletic directors and stuff like that. So that's a little yeah. bit of a, of a wrinkle of a wrinkle there. Jordan Rogers brought up a great point on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And this is somebody who obviously knows that program extremely well, got to experience success at Vandy, which is something yeah. that not a lot of people can put on their resume. But Jordan Rogers was saying how, you know, Derek Mason, while he might've been deserved to be fired, he never had a chance to succeed. James yep. Franklin hit the perfect window. And it's important for people to understand who say, well, James Franklin won at Vandy. Why can't Derek Mason? Derek Mason came along at a time right after the SEC Network, right after the TV revenue started going through the roof. And at certain places where, you know, there's places like South Carolina who have a $50 million new facility. and They're using that TV revenue money for things to be able to develop their football program and things that, you know what, there are there are programs in the group of five that will never touch what the SEC's right. been able to do in the TV rights boom era, which James Franklin was there from 2011 through 2013. And if you look at the way that the conference has changed, Vandy was in a position at the start of the decade that was much different than in the middle of the decade and near the end of the decade when all these other teams in the conference are sprinting way ahead and they're using that money and they're using it for recruiting and resources that Vandy was just not willing to do. We're talking about a program that hasn't had a major stadium renovation since 1981. Like Jimmy Carter was just out of office. 1881, I'm pretty sure if you look at that. I mean, it looks the exact same. I, I mean... They have, they're notorious, notorious. Anybody close to the program will tell you this, that, that like they put money into not really the basketball arena because it's like. Doesn't have air conditioning know. in the basketball arena, by the way. Still what? doesn't have air conditioning. Yeah. Never mind, they never go there. Um, but like the baseball facilities, and granted, the baseball team has won a lot. And they've been one of the most consistently dominant programs in, in the country. But I remember like in 2002, 2003, like getting recruiting letters from them. And just going through all the different stuff that they were they were like implementing, but it was just for baseball. 
Like, like they were, like the facilities upgraded, like like a new stadium. And, and granted, like some of that's like, you know, from former players that are donating and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's I like you have to keep up with the Joneses to an extent. Like South Carolina, you know, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago with, with Muschamp leaving or Muschamp being fired. They put in like a, what was it, a, um, a barbershop. You know what I mean? Because like just different unique stuff to like to sell your school. And Nashville's a great town, but it, it's almost like they had just kind of given up on it. Like it, like it, they the way they have kind of treated the football program is almost the same like mindset and dismissive attitude that that fans have about it. Nashville boomed at a time when Vandy did not capitalize on it in the way that no. it should have. And a lot of people look back on that and say they won't get that time back. And it's not just about putting five million dollars into the locker room and syncing it up that way, but. We're living in a time when Northwestern, Northwestern yeah. has a $260 million athletic facility right on the lake. Dude. Northwestern was always the comp for Vandy. And you would say, hey, Northwestern, you know, they're an academic school. They're kind of doing similar things. Vandy now can't look anywhere and justify what it is currently doing and say this is acceptable. Yeah. Now, firing a coach like Derek Mason is, in my opinion, a step of we are trying to get with the times. Candace Story Lee said, we want to hire an offensive mind. If you're going to put yeah. people in the seats in Nashville and a place there where there's so much to do in 2020, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to be able to say we need to hire someone that is offensive minded. So along those lines, when you think about that, because you hear a comment like that come out, and that's her, those are her words. That's not just right. the assumption. That would rule out. Notre Dame defensive coordinator Clark Lee, who is a Vandy grad, but a defensive-minded guy, has coached three consecutive top 15 defenses at Notre Dame since Mike Elko was poached by Texas A&M. That's an interesting candidate. They're not going to consider him. Now, that's not officially that they're not considering him, but one would tend to think. Yeah, UAB coach Bill Clark. If there's a guy who knows how to build a program from the ground up, literally had his program extinct and has come back and done some amazing things in Birmingham, Bill Clark, you would think, yeah, true, good point. You would think that Bill Clark would be a guy. But if we're ruling those defensive guys out, the five candidates that I have, Jeff Levy, Ole Miss offensive coordinator, guy who's worked with Lane Kiffin this past year, guy who worked with Josh Heupel at UCF, was also the quarterback's coach back in 2018 as well there before he became offensive coordinator. Charles Huff, Alabama running backs coach, who is the number one recruiter in the country right now, yeah. and has seen Vandy, was on that staff with James Franklin in 2011 when it was first being built up and got to see kind of what it was looking like in the beginning at the ground floor. Uh, let's just say there's mutual interest there for Charles Huff at Vandy. Yeah. Justin Fuente, head Thank coach you. head coach at Virginia Tech. This is the one that I got the most kind of eye rolls on. And like, why would Justin Fuente ever leave Virginia Tech for Vandy? Let me explain it because you're right. That makes no sense. That's a downward move. Why would somebody go from Virginia Tech to Vandy? Jeff, Justin Fuente is in year five right now at Virginia Tech. He is this weekend facing Clemson, the weekend after that, possibly face going to be an underdog against Virginia as well. They've already had an embarrassing loss to Liberty. They are likely, not for sure, but there's a good chance they lose five in a row to end the season. In yeah. year five, now, this is someone who has not been a fit, not been a fit in Blacksburg. 
he was the guy at Memphis. He built that program up. People forget what Memphis as a football program was like before he got there. So going back to the state where he has his roots, if there was some sort of mutual parting of ways at Virginia Tech where they paid a, a significant portion of that $12.5 million buyout and said, hey, go find a job elsewhere. We want to start over. And Vandy puts the full court press on him, gives him a $4 million contract, something like that. That's why Justin Fuente is interesting. I don't think that's like that far-fetched at all. I think that's a really, really good fit, and I don't, th- I don't think necessarily at this point that that Vandy is necessarily a step down from from Virginia Tech. Just, I mean, they're not winning at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who are very frustrated by that. When you have a when you yeah. have a home loss to Liberty, it changes things. And I don't get me wrong, like I am pro Malik Willis, all those yeah. things. But it's different when you're Virginia Tech, you're the two touchdown favorite, and you lose that game at home. And if you lose five in a row to end the season. All of a sudden, that fan base is, yeah. is very, and he replaced, you know, he replaced the legend. Really difficult thing right. to do. We yeah, talked about that job. before. I will say that, that somebody needs to warn him if he get, ends up going to Vandy. Somebody needs to warn him because, you know, that that entrance for Lane Stadium and, and Vodtech is like really cool. But I've just never been a fan of having to walk like a half mile before you get. Got to get your steps. Got to get your steps. Yeah, that's true. You know, you yeah. get a Fitbit still, but at the same time, if you go to Vandy, you got to carry a damn anchor out of the field. So workout walking into the stadium, nothing wrong with that. I think that's a sell. I just that's not for me. Um, regardless, I, I, so I think that those are all good options. A lot of people have also talked about Munkin from Army and getting a triple option. He's thing. not married to the triple option, thing. by the way. But there's that's been kind of floated out there that he's definitely going to be married to the triple option that you would need right. to go with that route. He is not 100% down that road. He has done other things offensively. So that, that that's important okay. context as his name is thrown out as a candidate anywhere. But... He's one of them. I had two others as well. Brian Johnson, offensive coordinator at Florida, was promoted to offensive coordinator at the start of the year, has been the quarterback's coach with Dan Mullen a lot of this time, really dating back to Mississippi State when Dak got big in 2014 as well, and then spent a year with De'Ara King at Houston as their offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach. Go figure. Guy has coached both of the Manville High School quarterbacks. Ridiculous. Yeah, uh, with Kyle Trask as well. So he's somebody who is very much on the rise in the coaching ranks. Dan Mullen thinks he's going to have a head coaching job at the Power 5 ranks before long. And then the other one, he's going to be getting a lot of airtime this week. If you don't know this name by now, you probably will by the end of the weekend. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I love that. Guys hosting College Game Day, which at Coastal Carolina, who's in like, what, year four as an FBS school? That is not an easy thing to do. He is a very popular candidate. I have a little bit more skepticism about the coaches who just have that one good year and they capitalize on that, which yeah. he kind of falls into that category. But if you're talking offensive minds, I think a list has to look something like that. You know, it's, it's weird too. Like, I don't think Sark, I think Sark's too big of a name for this job. He definitely is. Um, That's why I didn't include him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, remember a couple of years ago that Gus Malzahn had, had odds to go to, to Vandy. Really? And I don't think that'll happen. Oh yeah. Like that, that was like, there, there was, a, a, I don't know if it was rumors or if it was just like Vegas odds. Like they were, and they were really good odds. Like they were like, like surprising and like alarmingly um, low, I guess, for him to go there. Because, you know, like dealing with Auburn, I think a lot of times, like you saw it with Tuberville as well, like they, they just, it's very fickle, like hot and cold all the time. I don't know. I don't think he'd be a great fit. I don't, I don't mind the, the triple option, but whoever goes there, you have to, like absolutely, as soon as you get there, you have to, just like immediately demand upgrades immediately like not just for the stadium but like just like for the locker room whatever i mean like throw in like a black light dude like what are we what are we doing 
that's going to be the challenge for whoever takes over. You have to be able to sell. You got to be able to kiss babies. You got to be able to understand the dynamics at play and that it's different. And we saw how significant that can be at a big time place, even at yeah. Florida State, where Jimbo Fisher had to try and pull teeth as much as possible to try and get these upgrades. And if you read that ESPN story that came out a couple weeks ago about kind of the downfall of Florida State, you saw, look, Jimbo was right to request some of that stuff. And it's obviously on a very, very different scale at a place like Vandy. But that is part of this job description because you look around the rest of the SEC and you're like, holy crap. Dude, Like These teams have been sprinting and we've been like kind of casually walking in the park. That's, it's not a cheap school. It's not like like tuitions like you know not expensive. It's like a, it. I mean, this is two decades ago. It was like forty thousand dollars. So I mean, like they they have money. It's Vandy. Yes, it'll be very interesting to see the way that search unfolds. Yeah. Playoff rankings. So, by the way, I guess the playoff rankings one through ten. There you go. Big old pat on the back. Wait, there. one through ten. One through ten. That's what I do every. That week. is the most boring pick ever, Connor. You just said they were going to say exactly the same. No, I didn't. Wait, they didn't say Iowa exactly State? the same. I guessed Iowa State correctly, and then I guessed Georgia moving up that one spot as well. I had Miami at ten. I had Iowa State coming in at nine, and Iowa Georgia State. at eight. Yes, because they beat they beat Texas on the road, which, as we know, the yeah. selection committee values Texas. But one through seven, as you said, stayed the same because well, nobody lost. You had games canceled because of COVID. You had games postponed, but nobody lost. The interesting thing, selection committee made it kind of seem afterwards. Like AM's 20 to 7 win against LSU prevented some sort of jump of Ohio State. They yeah. said that that was apparently discussed. I don't buy that for a second. I really don't. And, and I think that they don't have to make that decision yet on Ohio State because if you move Texas AM ahead of them, Texas AM is not going to play less games than Ohio State down the stretch. And there's really no reason then to go back and forth with this all the time when you could just make that decision at the end and just keep them right next to each other this entire time without having to justify it is what I'm saying. Yeah, but like the longer you, for, I mean, first off, Ohio State shouldn't be there. They just shouldn't be there. And and I just, you know, this is not me like hating on the Big Ten or, or thinking that Ohio State's not that great. I saw this on Sunday and it really piqued my interest. And, and our editor, C. Wright, had, had put out the tweet that he didn't need to see like however many more games. And this is like a common, you know, attitude about Ohio State, to, like, you know, because he knows they're one of the top four teams in the country and they've been dominant. And I, and I started thinking about that because like dominant really kind of like struck me because it was like, hold on. I'm not dominant. Like, like, let's do like a deep dive into these numbers. And I did, Connor. Oh boy. Um, so Ohio State, like, there's just nothing else to say for this besides it's just confirmation bias. It's just preseason rankings. It's it just is what everyone thinks. Like, it's a joke at this point. So like, you you played four games. They've only played half of their half of their games have come against teams with one win on the season. Their their opponent's record is nine and fourteen. It's it's by far the lowest out of any of like the the top eight contenders include and also BYU I, I don't really understand like I mean like outside of like the metrics and I, I thought about this last night too I wonder how much of like like FPI and, and all those ridiculous metrics that make no sense really for ESPN but it's you know in-house I wonder how much of those numbers are factoring into this decision because like the computers and, and all the FBI as you know as was it SMP CSI Miami Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, RTR, LOL, they love Ohio State, it, but they also love Wisconsin still. So it's like, I, I don't understand why they, they get like the benefit of the doubt, because if this was happening, like you said last week, if this was happening like with an SEC team, the entire country would be outraged. And, and when you like just put their numbers side by side with everyone else, 
They have one win against a, a team with a, a you know a winning record. What's, they have what school was that? Win. What school was that? That what? was IU. With powerhouse. By seven total points. That's right. I mean, and then you start like really looking into it. And I know stats aren't the biggest biggest deal uh, when you're comparing like different schools and, and, and teams and stuff like that. And like especially because like you could just fall into a trap of looking up all the different stats, but. The word dominant really stood out to me. And you look at this defense, 45th in the country in scoring defense, 54th in total yards per game allowed, uh, 117th, 117th in pass defense out of 127 teams. I, makes, they're they're makes you wonder. in yards per play. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, like, I don't understand it. The thing with Ohio State that's frustrating as well, if you're a fan of one of these other teams, Ohio State definitely would not be put in this spot if it didn't start out in that spot. And that's what you right. keep coming back to. If Justin Fields was not a household name, if they had, I don't know, Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback, somebody who didn't yeah. start off as a household name, a preseason Heisman favorite, a future first round, you know, top 10 pick, something like that. The conversation is different. It is. And Ohio State is going to force the selection committee into a difficult spot because while I do think the Big Ten is going to bend over backwards to get Ohio State football games, and they will do what they can, even if that Michigan game gets canceled because Michigan had its game this weekend against Maryland canceled. And I think that that's something that the Big Ten is going to do because that's what, what they've been about from the jump, whether they've wanted to come out and admit it or not. But they will bend the rules to Ohio State. And even if that means not necessarily putting them in the Big Ten championship, they're going to make sure that they get as many games as possible. Now, if there's still the outbreak within Ohio State and they were reportedly set to practice today as we're recording this on Wednesday, then you know that allows them to do that. But if this becomes still an issue within Ohio State and there's only so much you can do, then if Ohio State's playing less games down the stretch like here moving forward than Texas A&M, I don't know how you can continue to justify it. I just don't. And I, I, was, I was arguing pro Ohio State about two or three weeks ago, but as we continue to see these games wiped away, it's different when you're playing half as many games as your competition. Bro, dude, not not even the games wiped away. The games they're playing in, I don't see them being a top four team. And, and like we can we can have that argument like another time. But like, it really does like bother me. And and, and I don't want to get like too much of like a conspiracy theory going on right now. But like, I just wonder how much of this was like, kind of like factored in before the season because. If the Big Ten, like, you know, they dragged their feet the entire offseason that, you know, they, they went rogue and all that kind of stuff, and they finally decided they're going to play, they definitely changed the schedule to, to benefit Ohio State more than any other team in that conference. Because if you look at it, if, if they end up playing the rest of their games, the combined record for Michigan State and, and Michigan's what, like two and three and two and four? So what, four, like four and seven? It's not going to get any better. And, and so what bothers me about them being up at four and I get what you're saying about like if you you know if you put them back at five and, and you have to like justify like you know flip flopping all that kind of stuff, but you're also leaving Florida just completely out in the cold. Like 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 what they're doing isn't remarkable this season. And, and I understand it's not just like on offense, but like I don't understand why we're giving this one team. It's like we're like like we're waiting and seeing. Like just just you know holding out hope that like that they're going to be exactly what we thought they were. And there's teams that are playing an entire season and also playing really good football that you're just completely overlooking. Well, Florida's path is Florida's path is isn't necessarily one that's that's going to to change as a, as a result right. of the rest of the season. So they they but put still, themselves I mean, like, in favorable positions. Rank the teams positions. like the way they should be ranked. Yeah, and, and they're when when you came out and you saw what they did in the first rankings, I thought that it was you know it really was going to set itself up for a very similar boring second rankings. Now, mm -hmm. the interesting thing here is 
On Tuesday as well, the ACC makes an interesting move. They nixed December 12 games for both Clemson and Notre Dame. Why would you do something like that? Well, there's a variety of reasons why you would do that. You don't have them or one of them or both of them playing right before the conference title game. You don't risk COVID issues by having them travel. Those teams are not going to back off those respective rankings, number two or number three in that time, assuming both take care of business as heavy favorites this weekend. I think Clemson's like a 24-point favorite at Virginia Tech, and then Notre Dame's like a 33-point favorite, something like that on the road. Uh, against or yeah, I think they're home against Syracuse. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. what it is, but um, you eliminate the chance for Wake Forest to spoil that two-team bid for the ACC. And what the ACC has essentially done is guaranteed one spot in the playoff, and they have yeah. set themselves up really, really well for two. And if you just want to get into the whole, what's the product on the field going to look like, and what's our best chance to have both of these teams look competitive in the conference championship game, you would say getting rid of that December twelfth game. And that gives you a better chance of having a competitive game, which Notre Dame could very well have a playoff spot locked up going into yeah. that game against Clemson. They might already. I mean, like to be honest, like I, I don't know. I just, but yeah, I mean, like and you know, <clears throat> you, I mean, you know how I feel about the Big Ten in general, but it just really does feel like we're we're, it's it's early in the rankings, so it doesn't really matter that much. But it does kind of feel different this year than than other years, where it's like they are making like a stand, like it's like. They they are just they are gonna double down and, and and continuously double down into like they like this team is is better than I guess I, like I don't I'm not saying Ohio State's not a better football team than A and M if they play on a neutral field I, I would probably bet on Ohio State but you have to also respect the body of work and what they're doing and I thought that's the whole point of the committee and, and so it's just it really is frustrating because again like go go look at SCS like Instagram go look at the graphic I made and like the podcast group whatever. Look at it side by side because it is, it is, there's no excuse for it. There's just not. I was ready for you to have a lot of thoughts on the ACC and instead you just got going on. No, I'm just pissed. I'm pissed about the Big Ten because it's like, I mean, here's another thing too. Do you think, Herb Street brought this up last night. Do you think that, that there's any chance that Michigan would intentionally pull themselves out of a game if it meant like making sure Ohio State was not able no. to? No, no, and I, I don't necessarily. I think it's. Do I think a team would intentionally pull itself out of a game if it felt like it had no chance to win and it was worried about a position group? Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. And I think that's already gone on. And I think that there are a lot of egos at stake here, and there are coaches who would not like to show that, have that shown up on their record, and don't want to have to explain to their boss why they lost 41 to nothing, and you know have to come up with these excuses and stuff. But. You know, now the 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 selection the selection committee moving forward has an interesting decision to make with the ACC. It has an interesting decision mm-hmm. to make with the Big Ten and what it does with Ohio State. The question that I have for you is: Should the SEC do what the ACC just yes. did? That's what you want me to respond to. Right? That's what I wanted I you to one respond. One more thing to. that I hate about Ohio State. No, I mean that's what I that's what I was saying over a month ago when I was originally pissed about the Bama LSU game even being rescheduled because it's like. If you cost us the bye week, and I understand they put it in there because it was, you know, just just in case, like it gives like an extra, you know, like like a, you know, like a safety net, like to get to the season. But I don't understand just moving mountains and, and five different games around in the SEC to make this stupid game happen this weekend. You should do. You should be doing exactly what the ACC is doing. 
for teams like Bama and Florida, and then also figuring out how to get A&M an extra game in there. And like, like it, it's, your, it's your conference. You think so? I think they will. I think A&M is going to have at least, because I think they're going to be playing December 19th. They're going to have... Guess who? They're going to have a makeup game on December 19th. They, they, to get to 10 games, they would, ha- they would need that at this point. You just like, let all three teams play like a jamboree, like a high school... Oh, yeah, like a round robin. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, no, I, I, but I, I think that's what you should be doing for your conference. Like, I mean, the Pac-12 is done, thanks to Oregon State. The Big 12 is done. There's no way or uh, Oklahoma backdoors their way in this. No, 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 no. There's not. Um, and listen, and like, I'm not saying that Ohio State's not a good team, but I really do think that like the top four, like for this year, especially if, if everything stays the course, it should be Notre Dame and Clemson. I honestly think that both those teams have already punched their ticket. And Notre Dame honestly should have, like, by now. Well, if, like, Clem- if Clemson loses in the ACC championship, they will not have punched their ticket. I guess a right, really good Notre Dame team. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this, the defense is ridiculous. I mean, Clark Lee. It's absolutely ridiculous. They're really good. Yeah. So, and, and then you also look at Clemson's, uh, uh, you know, they're not their strength of record, but, like, their opponent's win-loss percentage is also really impressive. I think that... What the SEC needs to figure out a way to do is make sure you get two teams in. It like honestly, an ideal situation for the SEC is Bama losing to Florida in the SEC championship. This is true. This and just is true. mirroring what the ACC is doing. Will be very very heated debates in the coming weeks. There's no doubt about it, and it'll be very unique to 2020 because of the games played factor and all the different things that we're going to have conference championship weekend to talk about. Let's talk some SEC picks, some over-unders. Let's talk about that A&M team who is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Auburn. I guess that A&M would be a three-and-a-half-point favorite. You guessed that they would be a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Hat tip to you. My over-under is any variation of the word convincingly. I set the over-under at six. Well, I'd say under six because that's a hard word to get out there. It's a lot of C's. They nailed the over. Um, Any variation of the word convincingly. What are the other words for convincingly? Uh, Do good. Look the part. Pass the eye test. Ooh, eye test. That's good. Yeah, that'll take the over on that. Yeah. I think the the broadcast crew crushed the over on that last week. Uh, Shout out Dan Orlovsky again. It's an easy topic for any broadcast crew when talking about A&M, but I'm really not sure it should apply. It'd be a nice bonus if they came out and did that, but we're talking about uh, a team going on the road and and beating a, a winning team in the SEC, which Auburn's right. decent. They're an okay football team at a time right now when you know you have teams like Ohio State that are getting game, games canceled left and right. I don't think that we sh- we're going to ultimately get caught up into style points as much as people think. But I think just going on the road, if you're A&M and being able to come away with a win, it doesn't matter necessarily about covering the spread. Maybe it would help if your offense looked a little bit better than it did last week and we're not all of a sudden questioning Kellen Mond and wondering if he's a liability. But I think if your defense comes out and plays like it did last week, then that should make a loud statement too because Mike Elko is going to force Bo Nix to throw. There is no doubt about it. Auburn's ground game is really banged up right now. O-line has injuries. Tank Bigsby and DJ Williams are both it. banged up. You hate to see it. Man. You don't. It's a, it's a but terrible time of year for that. If Bonix is forced into quick decisions, much like the LSU quarterbacks were last week, that is bad, bad news. Yeah, yeah agreed. Um, I disagree with you about the uh, the winning convincingly in style points. I, like, I thought they would have to do it last week, um, and Kellen Mond did not look great. 
I, I at this point, I really do think that it's the committee as 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 unbiased and objective as they as they want to appear. I do think that part of it is that they they are like almost like fans in a way, like that they are attracted to teams with like high powered offenses and 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 like really good quarterback play. And it, it's I feel like they kind of gravitate towards that. And, and kind of give those teams the benefit of the doubt. And you saw it last year. Like, I mean, obviously LSU was like head and shoulders above everyone else. But I don't think it helps this team because they don't – like on paper, and a lot of this I feel like is having to be done on paper because you can't watch every single game every weekend. I know they say they're going to, but like there's just no way. They, they can't do it. So I feel like a lot of this is done on paper and looking at like in the stats and like analytics and metrics and stuff like that. A&M doesn't really do anything that jumps off the page, especially on offense. Like they're they're – not ranked inside the top 40 in anything uh, besides yards per play. That defense, though, it, like I wonder if they're gonna if that's gonna be used against them because like people don't really care about like like how good your defense is anymore because I, I think everyone kind of is in the mindset that offense is gonna now win championships somehow. And that you're only as good as your quarterback. And he yeah, and he's I mean to be fair, he's had a really good year, like a really really good year. And, and we talked about his troubles like and struggles like on the road versus at home. He had a really bad game last week, but on the road this year, he's not been that bad. What concerns me is the completion percentage still being at 59%. I don't think it's going to matter this weekend. Like, I think if you're an A&M fan, you want to see Mond, like, have a big game and, and, and kind of put last week, like, in the, in the rearview mirror. I don't think they're going to need to throw the ball more than 15, 20 times. Shouldn't. They're going to run all over Auburn. Isaiah Spiller should be able to dominate against this Auburn defense. Not going to have K.J. Britt. Still, he is going to be out, which is a bummer for Kevin Steele's group. Isaiah Spiller's third in the SEC in rushing right now. I feel like not enough people are really breaking that down. Behind A&M's Kevin fifth Harris in the country in rushing yards per game. Yes, they have been very effective running the ball this year. Last time Jimbo beat Gus... 2013 BCS National Championship. Last game Magical. of the BCS era. Aub- Magical evening. Auburn at home hasn't been terrible. They haven't. I think that they're going to keep it close. I think Auburn has a backdoor cover late. Okay. A&M stays in control of this game and is one of those games where A&M's leading almost the entire time. Kind of the reverse of last year, maybe, a little bit, right. of what happened in College Station. A&M stays in control and wins a game that, again, if we're just talking about what does AM need to do to give itself a path to the playoff, it's continued to win these games against quality competition. Yeah, I mean, like those are your words, not mine. I'm not going to call Auburn quality competition right now. Mm, but I, 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 I do think it. this is a really bad matchup for Auburn. I mean, like, I didn't realize how, I mean, the, the defense hasn't been atrocious and they are battling a lot of injuries. But I mean, I think they're ninth or tenth in the SEC in, in, in rushing defense, and it, that just does not bode well for this 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 matchup with A and M. Like, I mean, they've been able to effectively run. I feel like on everyone, they're fantastic on third down. They're they're just a really solid football team. And like I said, I don't think it's going to matter if, if Kellen Mond comes out and is like has an off night. Like, I don't think he has to be like a world beater for this game. I I, th- I think that they put up it over 250 on the ground at least. I think they went big. I, like, Jimbo mm. has to win big at some point. I mean, like, the window's closing, and I think he knows that. And I feel like I agree with what you're saying. It's Auburn, and, and Auburn Jesus could definitely show up this weekend. I don't think it's going to happen. I was going to say, it feels like if Auburn's going to win this game, it's going to be a smoke Monday pick six. Yeah. Anthony Schwartz, long touchdown. I mean, he had a long touchdown against A&M last year as well in the first mm-hmm. quarter. Everybody remembers, but... I do think that AM still will be able to, to pull away and hold on to a win in this one. 
Florida, 17 and a half point favorites on the road against Tennessee. I guessed 15 and a half for the final line. You correctly guessed 17 and a half. That's a two for two really? start for you. Yeah, right on the money. I think that's the only two I got right. It was not, we did not do great this week. Yeah, not great, not great. Mentions of the cold. I set the over under at eight. Now there's not going to be snow apparently. The forecast has shifted a little bit, but a high of 46 and rainy on Saturday in Knoxville. Not great. Not great. But over no, under of eight. Awful. What do you think? Um, I'll say over. I mean, they're not going to talk about what they're going to talk about, like the game. Maybe. Doubt it. Maybe. No. I mean, like, there's not going to be a lot of like bright spots for Tennessee on here. Tennessee not even winning the bye week. Uh, Kevon Bennett dismissed from the team for drug and gun charges. Uh, not not great for a Tennessee team that has been struggling with depth as of late. This is in a way though, it, it is still kind of a good test for Florida for the Florida offense in this regard. Yeah. You go on the road, you go and if you come out and put up 40 points in suboptimal conditions, I think that sends another message of look, this Florida team is for real and their path might be pretty similar, might be pretty obvious to get to the playoff. But in terms of Kyle Trask and the Heisman Trophy and Florida passing the eye test, which Florida fans have had some kind of restless moments early on in the past couple games where they haven't necessarily yeah. come out against Vandy and Kentucky the way that they wanted to. But if they come out and, and blow the doors off Tennessee, I think that makes a loud statement. So Feinbaum actually did this the other day, and it was like one of my favorite moments in TV history this year. Um, and he was going over just the first half points and, and offensive, like, issues of Florida over, like, the last three games versus, like, how they were, like, the first, I guess, like, five games of the year. Through Georgia, um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's been, it's, it's been a night and day difference because that was one of their, you know, one of their calling cards at the start of the year was they just, they got off to hot starts constantly. Um, I, 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 like, I kind of worry about, about Florida in this one. Like, I, I don't think that they're going to be, like, come out of the gates, like firing all cylinders. I mean, Tennessee's very well rested. I'll say that for them. You know what I mean? And like, and Jeremy Pruitt's had a couple extra weeks to scheme. I wonder if we're going to start seeing a little bit of that swagger, that like a-hole cockiness, like that that Kiffin's able to use, like to his benefit, out of Mullen. Because I feel like he's got it in him. I feel like he does too. And I feel like when he has Kyle Pitts on the field, that's a very dangerous combination. Pruitt said of Kyle Pitts, in all my years of coaching, he's probably the most talented guy we've ever played against. Shots fired at Tim Tebow, who Pruitt coached against back at Hoover. People forget that. That was the debut episode Connor, of that yeah, show. I mean, you know, but we, we shut him down on the first game of the year. How much is Saban just praying that Pruitt is able to dial up something to stop Kyle Pitts? Just something. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Bama's not going to stop Kyle Pitts. It's just not going to happen. Probably not. Probably. No. I mean, I mean, no one is. Like, like we talked about it last week. Like, he's 11 touchdowns and 29 catches. He's only played six games, so he's a freak. Um, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think there's. That'll be. Like, I don't. I don't even know how you take him away. Some so numbers. I, I don't know. Some numbers for you that are uh, Jared Garantano in a very different class than Kyle Pitts. Now, Jeremy Pruitt said that Harrison Bailey will definitely play on Saturday. Don't know though who Jesus. is going to be the starter, which is a miraculous thing. Find somebody who's devoted to you as Jeremy Pruitt is devoted to Jared Garantano. I don't think that's Good possible. God. Jared Garantano in his two career games against Florida, 17 oh, at 35, bad. 271 yards, no touchdown passes, four interceptions. 
Tennessee averaged 12 points per game. They had two blowout losses. But sure, he's the better option. Garantano has the exact same amount of passing yards in 2020 as Miles Brennan. Miles Brennan has not played a football game since October 10th. People loved that tweet that I threw out there about Miles that was Brennan. An incredible stat. Miles Brennan having more touchdown passes on the year than Bo Nix. People really, really like that tweet because they look at the calendar, they're like, wait a minute, it's December 1st. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's October 10th. How does that happen? Uh, yeah, that was, I, I, honestly, that was probably one of my favorite tweets you ever had because I just keep thinking about the summer. It's like, I mean, what happened? Did Bo Nix die? Like, no, he's just not a very good quarterback. People, so, were, saying, anyway. people were saying he was a top five quarterback in the country. I'm not, I'm not sure that, he's a top seven quarterback in the SEC. Wait, didn't didn't like Reggie Bush put him as like top five quarterback in the country? All those people from like there was several people from Fox. If you go back and look at that graphic, I think there were more people who had Bo Nix as a top five quarterback in the country than Kyle Trask. That's absurd. That's yeah. absurd. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. You know, it would be nice and refreshing for Tennessee fans if they can go into a game and prove it. Just like you know what, we're we're just gonna have fun and we're gonna put out, we're gonna pull out all the stops. But he, I don't think he'll ever do that. I think the time has kind of passed for Tennessee to find these adjustments and to, to, to figure out some way. Because how many times have they been in this scenario where you've just said, oh, surely Tennessee's going to find a way to stop the bleeding? At this point, still riding that streak. I know they haven't played in a while. Still riding that streak of double-digit losses. And against the Florida yeah. team that, you know what, I, I think that defense, while it has some issues, it can be opportunistic. I think Florida rolls. I think Florida continues its dominance against Tennessee. And if we do see any Jared Garantano, I don't predict it to be a particularly successful day for him. You know what? I hope he, I hope he balls out and they lose by 30. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I mean, like, like he did against Georgia or, or not Georgia, but I think against Bama, he had like a pretty good stat line, right? Yeah. He lost by like 40. Um, yeah, I don't think it's really close. I will say that Tennessee could run the ball on this Florida defense because they are, they're not great against the run. Um, but yeah, I've given up on trying to hope there's gonna be any kind of new wrinkle in the offense. This, it's like, remember that episode of the office when like Dwight was talking about ear Muppet kids, Dwight was talking about sex with Angela and he's like, yeah, it's, what other things are there besides lady on back? That is just, that's Pruitt. That's, that's his coaching style is lady on back. I could, I could say something. Question. I could say something right now to piggyback off that, but I will not. Um, <laughs> Mine's a wonder. <laughs> um, Vandy, Georgia. Man, this is oh god, this is painful. Georgia's a thirty-five and a half point favorite. I guess Georgia minus thirty. You guess minus thirty-one. Um, the over/under that I have for this game is attempted Sarah Fuller field goals. I set the over/under at one. I'll I'll say push. I, I do want to say too, if we're being fair. I don't think she should have gotten the player of the week. When that's done for some PR purposes, yeah. yeah. It, it, it does kind of make what you, happen. It doesn't necessarily help the people that were, that were saying that this is being made into a publicity stunt. It kind of piggybacks on that. I understand yeah. that. Um, and non Sarah Fuller things for this game, Vandy can't stop a thing. Um, no. Georgia could have this spread covered by halftime. Another opportunity, if Georgia wants it, for JT Daniels to put up some big numbers, but uh, they're, they're just going to roll out those four running backs, and they're just going to say, yeah, Vandy can't stop a nosebleed. There's yeah. no way that we're going to be able to – that they're going to be able to stay on the field with us. Kirby's caught some heat this week on, like, local Atlanta sports talk radio because he has, like, you know, like after the, the week they had against Mississippi State and JT Daniels, like, in the passing game to what they did, I guess, uh, last week. I mean, like, you know, they, they won by, like, 35, right? 
It was uh, 45 to 16. Yeah, so 29. So, you know, I I think that you just want to win games at this point, but it would be nice to see. You know, if I'm Kirby, honestly, I'm screwing up this this entire play calling like he always does and not letting JT Daniels get more draft uh, tape at all. A conspiracy theorist might have had that thought in the back of his mind when last week JT Daniels only completed 10 passes. Again, yeah. when you can run for 332 yards and you don't need to throw the ball, yeah, of course. But still something to keep in the back of your mind as you watch this game. Can Ken Seals just lead one scoring drive? Can we just get one no, there's no scoring way. drive? I, I do hate that there are going to be people watching this game hoping that Sarah Fuller fails. Like that's some sort of victory for them, which is the dumbest yeah. thing I've ever heard. Um, that's the world we live in, unfortunately. There was somebody that said last week that uh, she shouldn't have got it because unless she averaged 60 yards a punt, which is not her position for one and two. Like 60 yards a punt is it a ridiculous average? Sign that person up. Jeez. Yeah. Are they only in Denver? Just, I mean, like the altitude? I, I don't get it. Regardless, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that she's able to score points. I don't know if that really happens. Georgia's defense is really bad. We, we have not talked about how wrong I've been about that nearly enough. They're ranked 95th in the country in pass defense. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder uh, about what they what they were doing early on in the season when you start to quite I thought that that second half against Bama was just such a bad sign for that Georgia defense, yeah. and you kind of start to realize, yeah, against these modern defenses that can spread them out and actually hit you deep, and a little bit more susceptible. Um, Georgia, I think, covers in this game. I'm not picking Bandy to cover any spread anytime soon. Just can't do it. No. Can't do it. South Carolina, Kentucky. Kentucky is an I don't get this one at all. 11 and a half point favorite for the Cats. I guess Kentucky minus five and a half. You were closer. You guessed eight and a half, but I was way under on this. I clearly Vegas is banking on South Carolina looking like the team we saw last week where it just could not stop Georgia at all. The over-under I, I have. It's Kentucky. I know, I know. I'll get to that in a minute though. Um, total combined pass attempts in this game. Think about what both of these offense want to do. Yeah. I have the over-under at 28. Oh, over. Doty had 22 pass attempts last week. Did he have 22? Was he, was he 18 and 22? He was 18 and 22, that's right. So even if he gets to 20, which I'm not sure that he will. Um, that's fair. I, I think Kentucky is going to be very satisfied running the ball all day, especially yeah. if Chris Rodriguez is back. But maybe South Carolina wants to throw it a little bit more too. Calvin Joseph opted out after that game against Florida in which he got his lunch money taken. Uh, maybe Chris Rodriguez is back for Kentucky, and Kentucky's yeah, offense is able to get going. That's that's kind of why I think that line has to be where it is. Because if it's right. not, that's, I mean, I get it. Kentucky, all they want to do is run the ball. In their perfect world, they see a team like South Carolina every week who is limited with depth and is not going to yeah. want to play that type of style for 60 minutes, which is what George was willing to do. So that's the only reason I can think of for why that spread is so lopsided. But it's it's such a lopsided spread that I think I have to take Kentucky to cover because yeah. it makes me kind it's of like scratch my up. head. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, I would not bet on this game at all, but um, I think it will be interesting to see like, what that matchup looks like. And then also, you know, you know two teams working on things. Doty, you know, wh- like what does this look like going into next year? Like can he, can he keep, I guess, I don't know, like keep it going? Because it wasn't like there was a lot going last week. Uh, or if he can – I mean, South Carolina fans, like I said – the second that South Carolina breaks 20 with Luke Doty as the starter, man, you're going to hear well, shouts from all the way in Atlanta. They're going to be pumped. If, if, if I'm Mike Bobo, too, and I know that I'm not being, like, even considered, like, in the slightest for this job, I'm coming out and playing, like, little Giants football, 
I'm getting a girl to play linebacker. Like, suck it, Sarah Fuller. We have yeah. Icebox on our team this week. I, like, I, annexation of Puerto Rico all week, or I mean all game. I, I don't know why you wouldn't. Like, have fun. There is maybe a sense that Mike Bobo could be retained as offensive coordinator depending on who the hire is. I don't necessarily think that's that likely. Why? Yeah, I'm not necessarily on board with that. Arkansas-Mizzou. Mizzou is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, which we were dead wrong about. I had Arkansas minus one. You guessed Arkansas minus three. And you said if that were the case, you would buy Mizzou immediately. So, yeah. I mean, interesting that Mizzou being a three-and-a-half-point favorite, can they cover that spread? The over-under I have, Barry Odom at Mizzou references. I set the over-under at five. Yeah, over. Over. Did you know, you know that he was Connor, the head coach at, at Mizzou? Did you know? Did you know that Kyle Trask actually was not recruited very, very much out of high school? Did you know he hasn't started a game since ninth grade? That is incredible. Um, you know, like, I, I think that there's a, a weird sobering thought that we need to all consider and we have not talked about. Mizzou's a good football team. Mizzou's won four of the last five. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy, right? Now, everybody yeah. would hear that and think, no, there, surely there's no way that's possible. First year head coach, 2020. I mean, like they, they've missed, you know, they've like, they've done it pretty impressively as well. I mean, like they, the start of the year, you think about where they were when everyone's talking about how the SEC kind of like screwed over Mizzou by, by giving them Bama and LSU. They go out and beat LSU. They were respectable against Bama. Yeah. I mean, stayed closer to Bama than all but one team. Everybody except Georgia, ironically enough. Yeah. Um, Rakeem Boyd opted out rest of the year. I don't necessarily, and I don't want to take away from Rakeem Boyd. I've given him his praise. Yeah. When you run for six yards per carry in a Chad Morris offense, you need a medal, a trophy, some large yeah. object to show that you did something that human beings shouldn't be able to do unless you're Rakeem Boyd or Tank Bigsby. But I'm not sure that that's going to matter for this game. He had fewer than 70 rushing yards in all three of Arkansas's wins. Traylon Smith is going to get yeah. to work. He's going to be just fine. Felipe Franks has been playing really well. Depth issues are starting to become a thing, though, for Arkansas. We kind of wondered about this early on when they got off to that great start. What was it going to look like at the end of the year? You lose Rakeem Boyd, lose Davion Warren to a season-ending injury. They're having depth. They've been having depth issues on the defensive line for weeks. Yeah. Mizzou, meanwhile, again, four of their last five. Uh, defensively, it, they've I, had a lot of issues with with depth. And their only loss during that stretch was at Florida. So, and they got smoked by Florida. But yeah, I mean, Larry Roundtree's been especially yeah. good. I, I'm surprised I'm saying this. I did not think I'd say this two weeks ago. Give me Mizzou to win and cover. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, like, I love what you said about uh, Rakeem Boyd. Like, he really should. I mean, it's not like he's, like, a war veteran, but he's, like, you know, serving in that offense. Like, he should definitely get, like, a mermaid tat. Like, a free Free drinks in Fayetteville tat. at the very least. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And just, like, come back, like, it's, like, this very, like, gruff, angry person, like, with, like, Chad Morris PTSD. I'm not saying we're a purple heart in public. Yeah. But if you did, we'd understand why. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with you on this one. I, I think Mizzou, Mizzou's a good football team. It's just, it's just really weird to say. And, and they have had to battle COVID and, and like, not injuries, but, you know, like players being out more than, I don't want to say more than any other team in the SEC, but, like, you know, right on up there. So I, it's been a really impressive job from Eli Drinkwitz. Um you know, I I think he I think they win this weekend. They've been really good at home, and I, I just at some point I feel like the Arkansas wheels have to fall off. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that Arkansas gets blown out in this game because no, no. I think that they've been you know much more competitive than we thought they would be for sure. But 
yeah, I, th- I just think that Mizzou right now is kind of figuring out who it is. And we talked about mm-hmm. how they can kind of sneak up on you. They're not necessarily a team that is going to get everybody's best effort, and they've been able to, to capitalize that. And Ryan Walters has just done a great job, I think, with this Dude. defense this year. Should be one of the up-and-coming guys, I think, in terms <clears> of <throat> candidates. As you look around, maybe he gets a group of five job after this year. But the Mizzou defensive coordinator in you know, replacing Barry Odom in a way, that's weird because yeah. we always associated that Mizzou defense with Barry Odom. But Ryan Walters has done tremendous work with that defense. And I'm going to miss... I'm really going to miss Nick Bolton, by the way. Um, who yeah. He's celebrating senior day on... Uh, on Saturday, so one would tend to think that this will be his last year in Columbia. Just a phenomenal player that not enough people know about. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I do. I, I do feel like this Mizzou team is. I don't know if they're going to be great next year. I don't know what they have like, coming back, but I will say this: this feels like the scene in the movie where like some awkward kid who's like 13 has like a growth spurt, and all of a sudden he's like six four. It's like, oh Jesus, that kid, that kid can dunk now. Anthony so, Davis, yeah. People oh, forget he was yeah. a point guard, and then he got really big, and then he still had all those point guard skills. If you ever watch any game you know that, that Anthony Jake Davis Bentley has played, Bentley should have been uh, Jake Bentley. He actually missed his senior prom. Shut up! No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. What? Oh yeah, Connor. Let's talk about it. Wow. Ageless wonder that kid. Yeah. Alabama, twenty-nine and a half point favorite against <sighs> LSU. I guessed Alabama minus twenty-four and a half because I'm an idiot, and you are also an idiot because you agreed with me that it'd be minus yeah. twenty-four and a half. The over/under I have Alabama passing yards. I set the over/under at three fifty-eight. Why did I set it at three fifty-eight? Because that's what Bama is averaging in twenty twenty, and LSU is allowing three hundred three passing yards per game, and that's after they looked pretty good against AM. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first off, I think I think we got this one right. And the line moved up. Did we really? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty take, sure. Like, we are not idiots. We are smart. Yeah, smarter than Vegas. I, take, I mean, a lot of resentment on that. Um, you know, this game. I used to hate this game, it's like every single year. And I always said, like, like from like, like the last decade. There's like one line that always, always reminds me of this game. Um, and I haven't even listened to the song this week. And I don't even remember. Like, it, it's a Lil Wayne song, and it says, "Call me what you want, but don't call me for fronting." And I think there's no, it's play a circle, it's not Lil Wayne. Um, there's like no better way to describe how this rivalry's been in every other year of this decade, but not this year. Because it's like those, those two teams are, are clearly like usually the two most talented, the two most physical, the two like two best teams, like really well coached. It is a, it is an absolute war every time they play each other. And now it just, I feel like, you know, something was like taken away. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and be super somber about it though, because I cannot wait to see. Nick Saban in a revenge game. You brought up the stats last week. 12-2 and two in revenge games. Um, I said it with Hester. You guys will hear it in a second. Bama's lost five times in Baton Rouge since 1958. I don't even know what president was around then. I have no idea. 1958 would have been Eisenhower. Well, okay. There you go. Um, since the Sputnik days, Bama's lost five total times in that stadium. I, I, like, I don't think it's close. This, this LSU secondary, they, they've played better. And they haven't given up on the season like I, I, I kind of claim they did a couple weeks ago. But they're giving up – they're 117th in – I'm sorry, 120th in the country in pass defense out of 127 teams. They should have a field day here. I just All I want to see is just no injuries. Yes, I think that's the key for Alabama. Very different, of course, storylines that we're talking about this game this year compared to last year. If you had told me coming into this year – 
that Derek Stingley versus Devontae Smith would be a matchup that we get late in the season, I'd say sign me up. Given how inconsistent the LSU defense has been and watching guys run free, it's hard to sort of get excited for that matchup yep. in the same way, even though Derek Stingley had his best game of the year last week against Texas A&M. It's a bummer for LSU that Terrace Marshall opted out. Yeah. Obviously, um, even if you look at what they were doing down the stretch against A&M, it was garbage time. I get that. He's just on a different level than anybody else that they have to throw the ball to. That includes yeah. Eric Gilbert, who's a phenomenal freshman tight end. But just getting the separation and the route running, it's different with Terrace Marshall. I don't blame him right before you're about to face Patrick Sertan, who's been the best cornerback in the country. That LSU quarterback situation wasn't going to help him down the stretch. No. Whether it's TJ Finley or Max Johnson, I don't know who it's going to be, but you're starting a true freshman out there. They are both lacking weapons right now. Bama can get pressure with three up front, and they can get pressure with Christian Barmore rushing yeah. the passer, and that's a dangerous thing. LSU can't even run the ball. That's the thing that I think we've lost track of this year, yeah. too. You realize how bad some of these rushing numbers are for LSU? Like, they had the one good rushing day against South Carolina, and that's kind of skewed yeah. their numbers. They don't have another game with multiple rushing scores. They have four game, four runs all year of 20-plus yards. This offensive line's what? falling off a cliff. Four runs all year of 20 yards. I mean, that, that offensive line last year had, like, had the most sacks allowed in the entire country and so, still somehow won the Joe Moore Award. Um, I, yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, who's going to start a quarterback? Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit, Connor? I mean, like, I, I think they can trot out. You know what? Trot out Coach O. Like, like. Just, just so we can have fun watching the game. I, I think that I know a lot of LSU fans, and I hate this attitude, and not just because I'm a Bama fan, but there's a lot of LSU fans have, have kind of taken the attitude that this game shouldn't count or, like, it, it's not the same. Like, this is not, like, an actual revenge game because LSU's so down and, and last year's team and, like, the, like the fall-off and all that kind of stuff. That's a really odd mentality, I, I think, to have. Like, I think the fan base, not overall, has that attitude, but a lot of people in that fan base do. It, from everything we've heard from Baton Rouge this week, Coach O says like they're they're ready to go. They're excited for the game. I just I feel like I've, I've fallen into that trap several times throughout the entire year, and and I, I really do still think that like barring injuries, Bama is going to really make this one hurt. I think it will too. I think it will too. I come back to the Steve Sarkeesian versus Bo Pelini battle, and I'm going to say advantage Sark on that one. Coach O, though, is 12-0, coming off of a loss. The stat that we always forget about. we got to remind uh, everyone. Yeah. But I obviously have never seen them play a team as good as this Alabama team coming off of a loss. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. It's, it's happened almost every other year that they've played each other. People forget about those eight eight wins in a row. No, I mean coming off before. of a loss it, within a season. I'm saying they haven't. Oh, okay. In one of those 12 games that they have won, coming yeah. off of a loss, they have not faced a team as good as 2020 Alabama. You know LSU hasn't scored on Bama in Baton Rouge since 2014. 20. Oh yeah, goodness. Oh, wait a minute. 2016. What was the final? Was that 10 nothing? That was a 10 nothing. 10 nothing. Oh yeah. man. Yikes. I think they score. I think they score. They'll, they'll score. Bama's gone 193 minutes without allowing a passing touchdown. By the way, that streak is still going. So. Yeah, that'll end. Yeah. Bama also hasn't lost to a non-top 15 team since 2010. So. How many points do you think Bama puts up for real? 56. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what I think, too. So the Bama covers is what you're saying. Without a doubt, yeah. Okay. yeah. Suck it, guys. Lock of the week. I had it ready to go for last week. It was ready to roll. It was Louisiana Lafayette, the Asian Cajuns. <sighs> Billy Napier's team didn't get into the top 25 last week in that first playoff rankings. I'm like, 
I have this all ready to go. They're gonna they're gonna come out guns blazing. They put up seventy in that game. They put up seventy freaking points. They easily covered minus twenty eight and a half against Louisiana Monroe. We won't count that towards the record for lock of the week because I wasn't officially on record publicly, so that's fine. Let's go back to the well. Let's go back to Liberty. Oh yeah, yeah. We're, talking. we're going to Liberty plus ten and a half. I know they're at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina's cats me out. They're hosting College Game Day. Everybody's talking about Jamie Chadwell for all these different jobs. Coastal Carolina's the fun team with all the mullets. They're great. They're going to be so much fun. Go Shants. It's fun to say Shants. Nobody else in college football can get to say that. You know what? Right Nobody now. else in college football can get to say. I've got Malik Willis as my starting yeah. quarterback. Let's freaking go. Malik Willis, big bounce back week coming off of the NC State loss where, you know, devastating, brutal, brutal performance all around offensively that Liberty had in that game. Looked much better last week, albeit against different competition. Liberty's faced three ACC teams this year. They're not going to be faced by Coastal Carolina. Give me Liberty to go into Coastal and hang with a team that has been getting a whole lot of love. Liberty should have been getting just as much love as as Coastal Carolina because you know what Coastal Carolina hasn't had to do? Be a Power 5 team that isn't Kansas. Yeah. All right? So Liberty, yeah, covering, covering 10 and a half. Um, yeah, don't forget also that uh, Kansas in the first half, and I think full game was like my lock of the week, week one, against this terrible team. Um, w- here's what worries me. Why has the line moved like six points? On that game it has? Yeah, it was at five and a half. It's up to 11 and a half in favor of Coastal Carolina. If Malik Willis doesn't play, this lock of the week is void. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I love that that was your, your first response. So I'm going to go back to the well as well. I see what you did there. Connor, there you go. I'm going to take oh, – I'm, I'm debating – I mean, some of these lines, just because of what's going on, like the nature of like COVID and all that kind of stuff, some of the lines have, are really – there's like a lot of really good value out there. And I think like Clemson at like only 22 points – uh, being favored. Ohio State is only a 22-point favorite. I don't know if they're going to end up playing that game. But regardless, uh, I would jump all over that. I'm going to take Georgia Tech and NC State first half over 30. That is back to the well. I told you last week that my favorite pick of the week was Georgia Tech in the first half, the over the first half, and winning the game because they were an underdog. All those things happened. I'm going to take that. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm also going to take, not Bama because that would be crazy, Bama's a 17-point favorite in the first half. Oklahoma, Connor. Oklahoma. They have really come on strong. I'm tired of hearing about them constantly. And why can't I find the actual game? Because Bob Stoops is going to be on the sideline. Noted local tequila salesman, Bob Stoops. I'm sorry, what happened? Yeah, Bob Stoops is going to be on the sideline because they're dealing with COVID issues. the tequila thing, Connor. Oh, yeah, he's a local tequila salesman. You didn't hear about that? I did not hear about that. Yeah. Um, Wow. Bob Stoops, a.k.a. brother of Mark. Yes, exactly. Ohio State... 14.5 point favorite in the first half, and Oklahoma, a 13.5 point favorite in the first half. I'm taking both of them. So, three locks of the week. Lots of locks. Whole lots of locks. Jacob Hester is our favorite lock for a, a fantastic interview. He brought it, as always. He didn't troll because, you know, I, I thought he was going to have some moments on here where he wasn't necessarily trolling you, but he was calling out some of your tweets. I was oh, yeah. ready for yeah. that. Um, didn't necessarily see that side of Hester though, but it was great to be able to talk with him. Hadn't talked to Hester in, in a hot minute. Hadn't talked with him during the season for, um, obvious reasons. I don't think we need to explain that. I've sent him a lot of texts, uh, throughout the season that have gone, um, unanswered, which I understand. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Hester's always, always great, 
great great person to talk to on a given given Friday or Saturday though to get his where his head is at. But has to provide a lot of great context on all things LSU. So let us go to our interview with Jacob Pester. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our favorite former SEC running back slash current radio host slash flag football dad, Jacob Hester. Speaking of that, Hester, how much do you have to dial back the intensity for flag football watching your kids play? Because I've, I've never seen you before a game that you played in, but we've seen you before LSU games that you've watched. And I've got to, I've got to imagine it's a really difficult thing not to be that over-the-top dad that gets way, way too into it. All right, so yeah, you would think so, and do not get me wrong. Like I take it, I take it serious because it means something to my son. So I want to take it serious, but I am not even close to the most intense dad out there on the flag football field. I mean, there's some dads that have been asked to leave the facility. Uh, I don't get to Ooh, that yeah. that point, and maybe it's because I know, like, hey, if you go out here and you make a fool of yourself, uh, there's going to be people that talk around town saying, "Yeah, you remember that Hester guy." Yeah, he's a real jerk. He actually got him a flag football game. And so, for me, I realize that I can't really get intense. But one thing that I do struggle with is trying to draw up plays for seven-year-olds because my wife tells me, okay, the terminology that you're using, they're seven years old, buddy. They don't understand that. And the first practice that I ever had, you know, the, the first year, like the dads or the quarterbacks, which is fine, the first practice we had this year, well, it's first grade, but the kids are actually the quarterback. And so you're talking about a seven-year-old trying to throw a football. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. So I'm trying to draw up some routes that are easy for them. And I say, okay, guys, we're going to go seven yards and we're going to sit down. Okay, let's go. And so sure enough, the first guy that gets up there, well, he runs seven yards, but I meant seven-yard curl. No, he actually sat down on the ground because I said <laughs> seven yards and sit down. So he sat on the ground and said, what, you told me to sit down. And my assistant coach is like, hey, buddy, uh, you're going to have to really dial this back. They don't know what in the world you're talking about. Did you run them? Do what? Did you, did you run them? Make them learn his lesson? No, 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 no. No, the only, the only, the only way that you, uh, that you have to run in my practice is if you fumble the football. If you fumble the no, football, right. I don't really care how old you are. Because of the way that I was taught, you're going to have to run like around the tree that's in the distance that every football coach picks out before the season even starts. Because <laughs> I was taught, and this is this is probably not the the best saying. It's probably not PC. In our running back room at LSU, there was a sign, and it said, "It is better to have died a young boy than to fumble this football." So that's kind of like mm-hmm. the way I was I was brought up. Although they, you know, that saying probably could be dialed back a little bit that's kind of what i was taught and i remember less like he hated when someone fumbled. if you fumbled the football like in practice you probably weren't even like going to play in the game on saturday because he was terrified of a turnover and fumbling it and it was always like if you fumbled you had to take a lap around all four fields and so you're talking about you know four sprints basically around four football fields and he would take a lap make it a long lap anytime you fumbled so <laughs> That's just like in my head, like, okay, that's something you can't do. Hester, you and T-Bob, your imitation of Les is, is really, really good. And I'm kind, of, I, I'm kind of kicking myself that we haven't asked you to do more of that. But we can maybe save that for a little bit later. <laughs> Be honest, though, you've seen some kids in these flag football games who could probably help out LSU, especially with these depth issues, right? 
Oh, man. Um, maybe not in flag football because there's no offensive linemen in flag football. So maybe my, mm. my 11-year-old uh, son who plays tackle football, maybe some of the offensive linemen could help out there because, man, that's really where they're starting to struggle. Uh, last game against Texas A&M, it was, it was a mess. And it was a mess really from the get-go. And that's really one position that last year it, it got covered up a little bit. You kind of had a patchwork offensive line that you know it really it gelled well together more chemistry than talent but it gelled well together and he had a quarterback obviously that knew what he was doing he got the ball out of his hands extremely fast but it was pretty difficult to watch that game on Saturday to see that offensive line struggle and not give either freshman quarterback any help it's probably so weird for you to think about the fact that it was in the year 2020 that you were emceeing the the championship celebration for the greatest team in college football history What's been the hardest thing about this year for you to deal with? Is it the never-ending roster attrition where it just seems like LSU loses another player every single week? Or is it the fact that Alabama and Florida are on this collision course to the SEC championship and you've basically got to deal with Marler and CD being Marler and CD all the time? (laughs) No, Florida and Alabama, it's like you almost expect them to have runs, especially obviously Alabama, the cyborg that they are. And so that doesn't bother me. I mean, look, anybody that covers the SEC, whether we like to admit it or not, we find ourselves rooting for other SEC teams once our team kind of gets out of it. And that part doesn't bother me. And I know we'll get to more of that. The, the part that bothers me is just how the, the rosters, you know, continue to change throughout the season. And it's not just LSU. Obviously, it's, it's across the country. But when you start talking about the guys they had drafted, okay, look, that's LSU. You can't, that's not an excuse. Like you're going to have guys leave in the NFL draft every year because that's what you want your program to be. Now, 14's a lot. And four first rounders, that's a lot. Like we, we understand that. That tied the record for most ever drafted. Um, but my expectations this year were still, you know, seven and three, eight and two sounds like about what they would come out and do. But then you start to lose guys that you weren't expecting to lose, guys that you counted on, and Jamar Chase and Tyler Shelvin and maybe Kerry Vincent, crazy enough, might be the one they missed the most because of the defensive struggles they've had in the back end. And now Terrace Marshall is, has been the latest. And that's not including uh, guys that have entered the transfer portal, uh, Pooh Ica, uh, T.K. McClendon, who was in the spring starting a defensive end. So they've had roster turnover and not only because of the draft but because of opt-outs because of the transfer portal and it's never really seemed to stop like it just continues every day when i'm hosting uh, my local show my co-host will say and this just in and i'm like no don't say it i'm gonna punch you because <laughs> any time you say and this just in it's bad news so don't say that on the air wait till we're done at least it's always tough going through injuries, uh, you know, and change and stuff like that. We're, you know, we'll get to that later. You're really already taking the fun out of being a, a terrible winner uh, with your logic and reason. I'll admit it. But let's talk about something besides LSU-Bama um, and, and talk about the Heisman for a second. So this has already been widely debated for like the last month or so. I'm not really sure why. Who do you think right now should be the front runner for the Heisman and who do you think ends up winning it uh, in January? I think it's a two, uh, two-man two race. I truly do, and I think it's both in our conference, obviously, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. And I, I do hate having this conversation because anytime you start talking about the other guy, it feels like you're saying the other guy hasn't had a special year, and that's not right. the case. I think, Mac, I think Mac Jones has had an incredible year. I mean, nobody had this expectation of him. He's almost completing 77% of his passes, 
I mean, Colt McCoy's record is in jeopardy of highest completion percentage in a single season, right? That's incredible. 26 touchdowns and taking care of the football. And I, and I love the story. Y'all know me. Like, I, I love when someone can go out there, the other guy, the freshman, the five-star guy supposed to be the starter. Matt Jones is like, wait a minute, hold up. Don't forget about me. And he has backed that up. So I love his story. And it's a close race. But for me, it is Kyle Trask. I mean, his numbers are beyond eye-popping. And in this shortened season, he's doing things that – if you have a full season, who knows what numbers he could get to. And for me, he separated himself a little bit when Kyle Pitts was out and Gamble all of a sudden became the star, the backup tight end. That tells me, yes, Kyle Pitts is, by the way, a freak, and he's going to play a long time in the NFL. Yeah. But that tells me you've got a quarterback that makes his team better regardless of who's in the game. And I think his decision-making has been impressive all season long. And I don't know if y'all remember this, but we had a conversation after LSU and Florida played last year. And I told y'all, man, he came into the Death Valley on a bum knee and against, you know, one of the best teams that, that we've seen in a very long time, maybe the greatest ever. And he stood toe to toe with them for three and a half quarters. And I thought he mm-hmm. was gutsy and gritty and all those turns that you want to use in that <laughs> game. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm talking with Matt Flynn. We're watching the game on the sidelines. And I'm like, uh, this guy's going to be scary next year. This guy, once he, like, this guy hadn't played like since like middle school. Just he's got some games under his belt now. He's going to grow and develop. And sure enough, man, he has been that and, and then some. So for me, it is a, a two man race. Kyle Trash just barely above Mac Jones. You might not be able to speak directly to this, but I'm just going to ask it anyways. Uh, if I were looking for a potential job, let's say in a in a place, we'll we'll say Baton Rouge for the sake of argument. Let, let's say that I'm also interested in becoming a defensive coordinator, but like a, a college one, not a, not a high school one or anything like that. I'm not messing around with that. Is that something that might be available for a prospective candidate like myself by let's say I don't know, like late December? Is that something that you you think might open up? Look, I mean, I think y'all know uh, me and Bo Pelini have a great relationship. He was a coordinator when I was playing at LSU, and uh, there were so many things that he would go above and beyond for us offensive players, even as a defensive coordinator. But uh, I'm also uh, in a profession where you have to tell the truth or you'll be called out extremely fast and you won't be very good at your job. So uh, there's been struggles. There's been struggles across the board. Um, The communication has been poor. Uh, They have given up more explosive plays, I believe, than anybody else in the country. And so those things worry you. Um, the last two weeks, if I want to pump some sunshine into this deal, they've done a much better job. They held Arkansas 0-10 on third down. Last week, Killer Mom was of 11 of 34, which sounds crazy coming out of my mouth for a fourth-year starter in Killer Mom. But that was the best third-down team in the country at 63%. You hold them to 2 of 16. So it's been better. Um, obviously, LSU fans, they don't – they don't deal with it's been better. They want great. And so you've got an opportunity. You've got an opportunity as a defense and a defensive staff to go out there against juggernauts. I'm talking about you know three of the best offenses in the country in Bama, Ole Miss, and Florida. And if you want to prove yourself, if you want to you know, prove, hey, we've got this thing fixed, we have uh, you know figured out what our issues were, you have the opportunity. And so I think you'll be judged heavily on these three games. You know, Coach O's taken a lot of criticism, um, and in my opinion, a lot of it unfair criticism uh, based off of, you know, like last season going into this season and just the, the stark contrast and, in, in, I guess, success um, from a year ago. Tell us why we shouldn't be panicking about Coach O and the future of LSU football with him at the helm. 
Yeah, that's a fair question, and I know, and, and you and I kind of joke back and forth, I know there's going to be comps to the Auburn team that went out there and had the run with Cam, and, and then they kind of <laughs> fell off. I think I, I do think this team is a little different. Uh, when you look at the year before, they made it to the Fiesta Bowl, and regardless of what we think of UCF and, and what that program was, that, that was a team that hadn't lost in two years before they got beat by LSU that day right so you had a successful season before the championship run um and so is this season an outliner or is this what to expect from lsu football right because lsu football over the last 20 years they've been as consistent as anyone i mean they've won eight or more games in the last 20 years every single season and they haven't had a season like this but here it is you're staring it right in the face and you've still got your you know two of of the most difficult opponents you're going to play all year still left on your schedule so you have to start looking at other things, right? Who do you have coming back? Well, I guess we'll find out more information because everybody's getting an extra year, right? Do you talk any seniors into coming back? You know, because it's something you haven't been able to do at LSU, not only under Coach O, but, you know, it seems like for the last 15 years. Um, recruiting classes, okay? You had a top five one last year. You've got a top three one this year. And if you can close out and you can have a top three class and you've got an influx of talent coming in still, then I don't think your program falls off the rails. Um, you know, you get Miles Brennan back. Uh, and, I, and I truly believe this. I mean, that that is that's not a, a light issue. I know they lost against Mississippi State and Missouri when he was the quarterback, but I would have loved to seen him at the helm on Saturday at College Station. You know, with the way the defense held Texas A&M, you know, how different does that game look? So, there's things to point to to say, yeah, I think I can see it getting fixed. Now, as y'all all know. Uh, patience is not something that you know many teams in the SEC have, and so they realize that. And I do expect it to look a little different. Who knows what happens? We don't know that, but I do expect there to be some, you know, some type of changes, and we'll see what those are before we can really say what our expectations of the team are uh, next year. I know going back to recruiting, I'm not the biggest recruiting guy because maybe because I'm bitter. I was a two-star <laughs> recruit, is like 795th in the country. But, I mean, if you can close out, you can get some five stars that you feel like you've got a good shot on, then, yeah, I think the program's still headed in the right direction. I know something this week that he harped on time and time again. So, um, you know, until you're proven otherwise, I guess, you know, you got to have continue to have that faith in the program that it can bounce back. Tell us why Derek Stingley is going to be back and better than ever in 2021, or on the contrary, why he might even be back within this season and against these really good offenses that LSU is going to face down the stretch. We're going to see the Derek Stingley of 2019 and not the Derek Stingley of early 2020. Yes, yeah, so I think if, if I'm vocaling, I'm the defensive staff, I, I realize that it's not the easiest thing to have your best corner line up against their best receiver and match him and follow him all game long. I, I realize that that's difficult because – then it changes everybody else's responsibilities because you could be playing, you know, half the field's playing zone, half the field's playing man. Obviously, we know those coverages. Um, so when you change up and, you know, one guy's only doing one thing, then it, it doesn't limit you, but it makes it a little bit more difficult. But I think you have to do it. If I'm going against Devontae Smith and I have a Derek Stingley, the last guy that I want to beat me is Devontae Smith. Now, the, do they have other weapons? You bet. I mean, absolutely. We can sit here and we can name them, right? I think Najee Harris is so much better this year, and he, he's really grown as a football player. But I know number six is their best player. I know that number 24 is my best player. I'm going to have them married together all game long, and I would do the same thing 
against all the other opponents, like Elijah Moore. Guess what? Here's Derek Stingley Jr. Even Cal Pitts, you're a tight end. You're probably going to see a lot of Derek Stingley. That's just what I would do because if I'm in this season or I've really struggled, I'm going to put my best on your best and see which one wins out. So that would be my game plan because you know what that does? If he goes out there and he balls out, it gives him even more confidence going forward in the next season. All right, real quick, speaking of that matchup, what was a worse overreaction? Bama fans saying that Devontae Smith owned Stingley last year, uh, primarily because of the yardage um, and how that was a little bit skewed, that that play from the sideline, or my awful meme tweet uh, comparing 2010 Auburn to 2019 LSU? Uh, your Auburn LSU comparison, you know, that was one that if I would have seen you, um, you know, we probably would have had some words. I would have been like, Marler, <laughs> let's go back here in the corner. Let me explain why this is good. No, of course, we, 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 we like that. We like that. We had fun with that one. Uh, I'll cover both of them. I, and I think Stingley last year, obviously, Devontae Smith's a hell of a receiver. He's going to get open on almost anybody at certain points. The yard is probably, like you said, that one sideline play where he looks over, and it's a great play by Alabama. It's, some people say it's gimmicky. It's like gimmicky. It's game planning. You knew that they looked over to the sideline. You took advantage of it, and credit to Alabama and Sark and, and staff for getting that done. Uh, that's why I'm looking forward to the matchup this year because I truly think you're going to see those guys lined up on each other the entire game. You know, Last year you had so many weapons still, Ruggs and Judy and Waddle still for Alabama, so Stingley moved across the board a little bit there, but – uh, back to your uh, freezing cold take of this LSU, you know, program. <laughs> it was a joke. Becoming what, what Auburn <laughs> did. I know. it's. Hey, we're sensitive around here about that, okay? No. Um, I think outside of Alabama, I mean, you could make the argument. And, and, of course, again, maybe I'm a homer. But you can make the argument in the last 20 years outside of Alabama, that LSU is the most successful college football team because they have the most national championships outside of Alabama. They have three titles, and they've played for four. Right Now, I know Clemson uh, right. late has got a resume that obviously you'd be proud of, what, two titles and, and played for four, whatever it is. And uh, Florida, I, obviously, they had a run 06 and uh, 08, and, and a couple more times they've had an opportunity. But when you start to throw at what LSU's had in the last you – know, call it 17 years if we're picking numbers since LSU won it in 03. It matches everybody outside of, of the one team who's dominated college football in Alabama. And Louisiana is always going to have Jimmy's and Joe's, right? So many teams try to come here and get yeah. some of those guys because it's such a talented state. So I, I think for those reasons, and look, when you're at Auburn, I mean, you're fighting with Alabama and Georgia and all those in Florida who's kind of right there for every recruit. Now, you're gonna, at LSU, you're going to fight with those guys on most of your recruits, but every single one, you're fighting with those guys. When in Louisiana, you know, it's, it's LSU. And that's no disrespect to, you know, Louisiana Tech or UL Lafayette or any of those schools, but you don't have in-state competition for your top-tier talent where you do everywhere else. You do at Texas. You do at Mississippi and Alabama. Georgia, to some extent, because – Clemson, you know, comes down and they get guys, and Georgia Tech can get a couple of guys here and there, and, and Florida's got multiple schools, and even Clemson, you know, South Carolina might get, you know, some of those in-state guys that they were able to get under Steve Spurrier was the reason they won 11 games three years in a row. So I think that makes LSU a little bit unique as well. Maybe I'm trying to talk myself into this, but I, I think LSU, if, you know, this is obviously a down year. I don't think you see this continue for, you know, three more years. 
on a non-LSU note, can you help us understand the JT Daniels thing from a player standpoint? I, I get that there was a discrepancy between how healthy he thought he was and how healthy the coaching staff and even how healthy his dad thought he was. I suppose it's different for a quarterback than a gritty running back like yourself, but is it as simple as that, or does this sound like a coaching staff trying to cover its tracks for not making the right decision? I don't know. What a weird dynamic. You know, you got the player saying, oh, I was ready to go. I was cleared since the Arkansas game. And then you got a dad and a family saying, no, you know, Kirby was taking care of him. And obviously Kirby saying, you know, wasn't really ready to go. And it's it's so confusing. Wait, who do we – what do we believe here? As a player, like we always think we're ready to go. I mean, we can be 80% and we feel like we're Superman because we talk ourselves into it and we're just dumb jocks sometimes. <laughs> and that's just what we do. I mean, I, I can remember so many times saying, oh, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And then like they'd video me running on the practice field and I'd look like, uh, you know, somebody who had braces on their legs just because you think you're ready to go <laughs> and you try to convince yourself that you're ready to go. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both, honestly. When you're hearing this much smoke, I think somewhere in the middle is probably true. And it's a head-scratcher if he was ready to go and they didn't put him in. And, you know, no disrespect to Stetson Bennett or Dwan Mathis, who is now in the in the portal himself. But when you go into a game against Florida, you know, outside of the Alabama game, Alabama game is one we even if you move past that one, you go into a game against Florida and knowing you're going to have to go score for score because that offense can score any defense in the country. You had to do something different. You had to have the ability. And when they went Mathis in the, in the second half and he replaced Stetson Bennett, that surprised me because I have to believe that, that JT Daniels was healthy enough because we saw him not that long after that. I have to believe he was healthy enough to go. And you had to give that opportunity to him because we saw Mathis in the Arkansas game just not be effective. And, and Stetson Bennett, it was a great story, wasn't taking care of the football there at the end and was throwing it to the other team. Like, I would have to hear a good reason why JT Daniels didn't go in the game because is his game perfect? No, but he gives you a better opportunity to go out there and go score for score with a team like Florida. That offense, to me, even this week, right? Go back and look at the stats this week. He only threw 16 passes. I realize you were beating the, the the mess out of South Carolina, but why? Why does your fifth team running back get double-digit carries when you're trying to break in this new quarterback? You're trying to keep Burton happy. You're trying to keep George Pickens happy, and you're throwing three balls for what 25 yards. Like if I'm if I'm Georgia and I'm and I'm trying to get my guys some confidence, man, I, I let JT go out there and throw the football and and get some guys involved in the passing game because. If I'm a five-star receiver and I'm a recruit and they've told me it's going to be different this year and I look out there and they're throwing 16 passes in a game that they win by 20-something points, I'm asking myself, wait a minute, what's going to be different? It doesn't look different. They've told me it's going to be different, but it doesn't look any different. So just for that reason alone, I would have liked to see them open it up even after JT Daniels was named the starter. You know, Connor, I'm going to pat myself on the back here because I said this offseason if you're a – five-star recruit as a quarterback how do you trust Kirby Smart's gonna do the right thing for your, your future um, something tells me that people are gonna listen to to Hester and what he just said a lot more than when they listen to me so that's that makes me feel good though um, Hester it's enough of the fluff are you ready for game time two-minute drill I'm always ready this is my favorite part of the show all right it's gonna be an extended one okay um, 
it, so we, we've got about 14 to 15 questions. I almost had a music round for you, but then I realized that your music knowledge is limited to Elvis, um, so I did not want to do that. Um, uh, but we have... Excuse me, I can throw some Sam Cooke and Otis Redding in there, too. Okay. You know what? We'll throw in an Otis Redding question just for fun at the end. Um, I have a feeling you're not going to score very well on this, but that's mainly because of me uh, and my sportsmanship. So are you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's go. Stay ready so you don't have All to right. get ready, Marla. There you go. I like that. But I don't even know what that means. Um, all right. First question. Best Christmas gift you've ever received? Best Christmas gift I ever received was the original Xbox. I thought I, like, I thought that was the greatest invention of all time. They had the one football game. It was really awful, but it had Peyton Manning on the cover. And at the time, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. NFL fever. Okay. Guys, it's two-minute drill. Uh, yeah. We should have never done this with a fullback. I, I just I knew this was not going to be a problem. No, nothing on that, Hester? Nothing? <laughs> it, dude, it, I mean, you know what? I've had to put up with you so many times, I just let that fly over my head. You know what? If you want to call me a fullback, it's completely fine because you know what? You know what it means, and you know what I'm going to say. That means you got some grit to you, and by God, I'll take that. Amen. Yeah, it's also better than being a, a third-string first baseman. Uh, so anyway, next question. Best advice for a guy buying a gift for a significant other this holiday season? Listen to her the month leading up to it because the gift that you think is going to hit is not going to hit. In fact, it's probably going to bomb. So if you just listen to her just like the month before, when everything starts coming on TV, when you start seeing some Black Friday uh, you know, specials and She's like, oh, that'd be nice to have. Write it down because that's what she wants. She doesn't want the crock pot that you've got in your Amazon cart that you think is going to hit that's not going to hit. Yeah, one time in college I bought a, uh, a uh, towel warmer um, instead of getting the heat fixed in our crappy uh, How'd house that, go? that we're living in. It went over not well. She's married to someone else, which is fine. Um, but, yeah, it did, it did not end well. Speaking of listening to a woman – more damaging to college football this year, COVID, or Sarah Fuller simply trying to squib kick for an 0-8 team? I think uh, COVID's been pretty damaging uh, to, uh, to football this year. Every single day, every single minute, every single hour that we're trying to you know, find a story to, to talk about, to write about, to report on, it has to do with COVID, and it's uh, never in a good light. So. Uh, look, Sarah Fuller is awesome. Uh, I love the story of Vanderbilt. I hope they let her kick it deep this week because knowing special teams like I do, I know what they were trying to get done. They were trying to have the mortar kick, and obviously you got guys that, that couldn't get the ball off the tee on Twitter trolling everyone. So I, I think it's a great story, and I hope they, that they, she gets the opportunity to kick it off deep this week. You know, Hester, I think that's a good answer, but there's about a thousand dudes with white Oakley sunglasses in their profile pics on social media that definitely disagree. We're, we're giving you points regardless. Eggnog by hey, well, yourself. Hey, I, I, will, I will say, though, I will say, though, real quick, I played soccer all my life. I was a professional athlete, and I've got video of me trying to kick, like, a 30-yard field goal with Cole Tracy a couple of years ago, and it took me, like, seven tries to actually get it through the uprights. And so it's not as easy as all. All the guys wearing those like, uh, white Oakleys think it is. We're going to need to get a copy of that video. Um, eggnog, buy or sell? Um, the, only, the only time to ever buy eggnog is in Christmas vacation because he makes it look delicious. Outside of that, uh, I'll pass on eggnog 
just go ahead. Let's go ahead and knock the middleman out. Just give me like a hard, stiff drink because I, I really don't need yeah. the eggnog flavor. We're all trying to get the same job done. Why fluff it up with some milk? Mm. Completely agree. Eggnog, I'm pretty sure it's for only homeless people. If you're just mixing dairy cream and bourbon, that you got some problems, guys. You got some problems. Favorite Christmas song? <laughs> oh, Blue Christmas, Elvis. Come on, you know, that's low-hanging fruit there. Oh, God. Okay, um, similar questions. It's all Christmas theme if you haven't picked up on this. Favorite rom-com slash Christmas rom-com? Mm, now that's a good one. Because my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. And it's absolutely a Christmas movie. Absolutely. I don't know if you're going to ask Amen. me, but I'm yep. going to go ahead and tell you. Um, yep. Rom-com, I mean, uh, Love Actually, I guess, pretty good one. Yep, that's a fantastic answer. Holiday on yep. Netflix, also acceptable. But yes, Love Actually is the correct answer. Uh, next question, what's creepier, Elf on a Shelf or the lyrics to Baby It's Cold Outside? I didn't even, like, the baby is cold outside. I guess I just, you know, you don't think about it. You just sing the song. And I'm the worst at actually, you know, hearing the lyrics and, and figuring out what they mean. Like, I don't even, like, look at them. I just sing the song. But I know that's uh, something that maybe I need to spend more time doing. But I will say the elf is incredibly creepy. I mean, my wife just comes up with ways to put this thing in positions and places that make me uncomfortable. And I'll go with that because I have four boys. I have to get creative with the elf. My wife gets way too creative, and so that's that's my final answer. God, I'm uncomfortable just just hearing about it. I'll be honest. Um, okay, that's points. Uh, this is a fun one that I learned yesterday. What tweet of mine do you think caused Coach Gene Chizik to unfollow me on Twitter? Uh, probably multiple. Um, there's yeah, been many a times that I've had text messages written out to Chris Marler. And I didn't send them because <laughs> I value our friendship, but it's really hard yeah, not to press nice. in. Because you're really good at it. You're really good at tweeting something that makes me and Chiz and everyone else angry. But, you know, because of our friendship, I've decided not to send those texts that I can't un unsend. I appreciate that. I feel like the stepbrother nobody ever wanted. It's beautiful. Um, most overrated Thanksgiving dish? Most overrated Thanksgiving dish. Mm, you know what? This, I mean, cranberries trash. Cranberry sauce is trash, yeah. but I think I think here I'll go one that's very popular. I mean, and I'm not the biggest turkey fan. I'm I'm way more of a ham fan. I love oh, like boy. a good mm -hmm. honey ham. So maybe you know turkey might be the answer here, especially if it's too dry. Marlo, let's let, let's let Hester walk off on that one because Hester's yeah, got a good. show to go do. That's real. Good. That was really good though. Gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm adding up your total right now. It is a total of five. Which is, uh, which is very important because that's the amount of times LSU has beaten Alabama in Baton Rouge since 1958. So it, it means something to all of us. All right, well, I'll leave Happy you with there. this one. I played Alabama four times, and I beat the Tide four times. Undefeated, baby. We'll catch y'all later. Hester, this has been awesome, man. We'll, t we'll talk really soon. Take care. All right, boys. See ya. All right, it is fourth and wrong. Bagman, hold on, hold on. We we got to talk about it, okay? Like, because I really didn't even, I, I honestly didn't even want to bring this up on the pod, and I'm not saying it's undeserved because I'm sure it's deserved. I've seen my Twitter. Coach Chiz, Gene Chizik, unfollowed me. Really? Yeah. I didn't know about that. I said it in the interview. No, I mean before you mentioned it in the interview, I didn't know about that. I noticed it yesterday. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Too many bachelorette tweets. I don't think that's what it is, but yeah, that's fair. Okay. All right.
He's, he's, he's not a big, he's not a, like a big interaction guy on Twitter. He very rarely responds to anybody like that. He uses it to post his words of chisdom, and yeah. then that's that's pretty much the extent of it. So don't, I, I wouldn't take too much sometimes. offense to that. I just, you know, I mean, like, I, I did have the thought last week when Bill Curry followed me, and I was like, he is going to unfollow me very fast, like very, very quickly. He seems like way too nice of a guy to be associated with me. Wonder about that sometimes. When somebody, somebody out of your, like, out of your, kind of immediate circle follows you and you're like, oh, this person's going to hate me. Oh, this yeah. This is not going to end well. Every time I post a video about Alabama. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for everybody who submitted questions in our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Let's start with this one from Andrew Diaz. This is a very fascinating question that I think will be asked a lot in the coming weeks. Um, he had a good Liberty question, but I won't ask that. We've talked enough Liberty on this podcast so far. He says... Do you think, given the circumstances, that is, Jalen Waddell is out, Kyle Pitts is in, that Florida has a slight edge over Bama in the wide receiver slash tight end room? An interesting question. Yeah. I would, I would, with those circumstances, give Florida a slight edge in that department. Now, the difference being that I think when you kind of look up, like if you just want to look at a top three and you say, okay, um, Pitts compared to Devontae Smith, they do different things. Kind of a wash at this point in terms of how effective they've been. Yeah. At least very close. At least very close. Maybe Devontae Smith gets a slight edge just because he's had some bigger games. The volume has been there, certainly. But then you look beyond that, and that's where you start to say, oh, yeah, right. you probably have to give the advantage to Florida because Kadarius Tony, Trayvon Grimes is – I would probably take those two guys over a John Mechie Slade Bold yeah. combination. I feel like you're. I feel like you're saying it in a way like you don't want to like hurt my feelings. I'm all on board with this. I, I think. No, I just want to think about this critically. Really That's close. all. I, like I mean, I, I, like Mechie had like a couple big games earlier. I think he had the big game against A and M, but since then he really hasn't done much. And, and we saw last week, like I said, he, he's not really a guy that's going to go up and get a bunch of 50-50 balls. It honestly worries me more. For like the entire like receiving core that that like Devontae's had to be like relied on so much. Like I, I mm. love the fact that his production's gone up and it's been awesome, you know, to watch him like in his final year. But at the same time, kind of a cause for concern because if he's taken away, I mean, Slade Bolden's not gonna. He's he's just. I mean, he's not Megatron. He's not gonna beat you. And I think that the important thing to remember as well. I would also I would take Alabama's offensive line ahead of. Florida's offensive line in that department. Alabama, that's probably the thing that we haven't really talked about as much this year is the Alabama offensive line has just been tremendous, especially yeah. in pass protection. But that kind of impacts what those, guy, what those guys are able to do. I don't necessarily think that that game's just going to come down to that. But in terms of weapons, yeah, it is interesting because if we're going to talk about, hey, Mac Jones gets the benefit of having these weapons. Kyle Trask gets the benefit yeah. of having these weapons. If Kyle Trask is the one who has more weapons to work with, and we haven't even talked about how good his running backs are at catching passes out of the backfield, then that's probably something that we should at least keep in mind as we talk about the Heisman conversation. I just feel like we're going to be able to stop the, the, the wheel route. I'm not really that worried about that. It's pronounced wheel. Wheel route. Um, all right, here's here's one. I, I really like this one as well. Zach Permenter says, if you had to describe your ex as a head coach, who would it be and why? I want you to go first. I want to put a little extra thought into this. Make sure it's good. Chad Morris. Um, Chad Morris because as, you, as I watched from afar, and now she's a different person now. She's not listening to this. She's a different person now than what she was in high school when we dated. Dated for two and a half years in high school, one month into college, and realized, nope, this is not going to work. Yeah. 
Um, it's one of those types of, you know what? Actually, I take that back. Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp's the better comp than Chad Morris. Because you look back at Will Muschamp, you're like, wow, that guy had a head coaching job in the SEC for nine years. Yeah, That is a long time. And you're like, wait a minute. How did this guy continue to get these jobs? And I would look back after we dated and say, why are these guys continuing to date her? She does things that are just childish and immature yeah. and just so unbelievably frustrating. And you're like, why is she always able to somehow be in a relationship? Like that's Will Muschamp with big time jobs in the SEC. That's and fair. he's probably gonna get a defensive coordinator job after this year in the SEC. I don't necessarily think the Bama thing's a slam dunk in the way that we thought a few weeks ago, but He's kind of, and she also would have temper tantrums. Maybe not as big as must Go on. Um, she could yell. She could yell over the phone, and she wasn't afraid to let you know about it. I'll leave it at that. That's fair. Um, so I think, like, I don't think there's, like, one specific person that could, like, describe how much I hate my ex. Um, and, I, and, you know, like you said, yours wasn't listening. I, I honestly don't know, because she's, she's that awful and miserable. Hello, Marler's ex. She's listening. God, she's the worst. Um... Yeah, I mean, like, like, set, like, she has a huge podcast. She has a massive, massive podcast and following, and like, it's just the most vapid and worst person ever. But, um, like, absolutely harasses Allie. Like, like her like followers will like set up fake accounts and, and follow her and stuff like that. It's like just move on, move on. Um, that being said, I would compare it to Dabo and Bo Pelini both. Oh, because. You remember, like, early in the year when, when Pelini, like, refused to, like, kind of take the blame for, like, what was going on with the defense? And he was like, I, I don't know how to simplify it anymore. Like, I, I, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. Um, that's kind of like her. Like, nothing's ever her fault. Ever. Ever. Um, then the Dabo thing, she has just some of the most egregious takes. And they're all rooted from, like, not she's from Delaware, so it's like like I, I know you don't have that much like life experience from Delaware. Oh, so you're like living in your own little bubble, which Dabo yeah. very much sounds when he says some of these things, you're like, Dabo's very isolated from the rest of the world and he lives in a very unique bubble where he can kind of say what he wants and usually yeah. get away with it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And, and and like she's like her own echo chamber, and I think that's like the perfect way to describe mm. Dabo. Like I'll never forget this. We went to see Straight Out of Compton and I had written my senior thesis on on like NWA's influence and like the rise of like that band specifically, and like West Coast, like gangster rap, and like like its influence on Middle America. In one of the scenes where they're like like the cops were like like you know beating up like the what do you call it like the the people in the group, she started crying. I was like, did this really happen? I was like, what what are you? What is the question here? Did did that really happen? It happened every day. What are we talking about here? That anyway, she's the worst. So I would I'd say all those. You know what? Throw in Tuberville too. Hmm. Care to go into detail about that or no? We'll just no, she has big ears and, and not a very pretty face. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Eric Beasley, this is a good question. With LSU's defense starting to look a little better the last couple weeks, does Pelini earn himself another year? With LSU's offense looking terrible the last couple of weeks, does Ensminger lose his job this spring? What? Uh, Pelini's one and done. I think he's still one and done. These last three weeks are going to be brutal. And, and I don't think that it's just a product of... I, I think I think what he did against A&M was impressive. Don't get me wrong. And if LSU has turned the corner, uh, we will see it against Alabama. And we will yeah. note that they have turned the corner. Trust me when I say that. But 
what they're going to face these last three weeks with going, if they have to still play the game against Florida, if we're talking about them playing against Ole Miss as well, that's going to be brutal. And because those those coordinators can scheme the crap out of Bo Pelini, and they're going to make Coach O realize, in case he hasn't already, which I think he has, oh, this guy is not for big-time college football no. coaching up a defense in 2020. So I don't think Pelini is keeping his job. I don't know, barring a drastic turnaround down the stretch, which I don't think will happen. I don't think he. I don't think he keeps his job. And I think Ensminger keeps his job because he's been Coach O's guy forever. And I think that you can kind of chalk up some of this to all of the roster attrition. And yeah. if you actually go back and look at what Miles Brennan did when he was healthy, usually you don't fire a coordinator. Oh, he's not going. Lose anywhere. your starting quarterback. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that what they did against AM was a product of a very limited team right now that is struggling. But I think when they get personnel, Coach O is going to want Steve Ensminger in his corner calling plays. Yeah, I mean that's that's his boy. It's his A one from day one. Um, okay. Let's see here. James Camphor says, what would be the dollar amount that it would take for Marler to sing the Auburn fight song? Hmm. I accidentally said War Eagle on the Facebook Live last Saturday. I'm not like as staunch about that anymore. Um, I, I don't I mean, it, not that much. Like, I, I really enjoy like most of the pageantry and like traditions. Like I, like, I love doing stuff like at LSU and, and UGA and like the obnoxious who's that coming down the track stuff. Um, it wouldn't take much, but I would probably end it by with like making fun of Auburn. Like, th- like I would never read the Auburn Creed. That is the m- weirdest, most cultish. Like, I-, I just I don't get it. I believe in Auburn and I love it. What? What let's are you talking to, let's about? Let's get a dollar amount. Let's get a dollar amount here. To to what? Say the Creed. Uh fight song. Fight song. I would probably mean. I, if if a GoFundMe bucks. was set up, which I don't know if you're legally allowed to do that for somebody singing a fight song, I think we could just work through PayPal, Venmo, something like that. If you guys set up a GoFundMe or and like raise money, I will donate the money to a charity or my poker, um, and then have that going. So you know we'll do it like toys for, toys for tots. If okay. you guys raise over sixty nine dollars, or exactly sixty nine dollars, maybe no, do no, that. we need to do more. But I will sing the fight song if you guys get over a hundred. I'll sing the fight song and I'll I'll do something else for Tennessee. Oh, I'll sing Rocky Top. Oh, Rocky song. Top's catchy. That's yeah. that's not really fair. Speaking of Tennessee, Tristan Smith wants to know: Will Tennessee throw more touchdowns to the offense or the defense this week? Man, that's a great question. He's not kidding. That, you know, it's like not even a joke. I actually have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would assume the offense. I, it, I mean, listen, I hate to say this, but like, bless Tristan's heart because he's like so engaged in the Facebook group, and I just feel so bad for him because it's like, we'll talk about all these different games, but every single week for him, it's just a new meme about Jared Garantano and how bad he sucks. I hate it for him. I really do. You know, I'm going to say it's a push. I'm going to say one apiece. I'm going to say one apiece because Florida's defense, Florida's secondary is not that good. It's not. I thought it would be much better when it got healthy. I think Florida's secondary has some issues. So obviously you're not going to get exposed against a team like Kentucky. I think one apiece, so it's a push. Attention. I'll say they, they cover it only because at some point Garantano's not going to be in the game anymore. All right. Um, let's see. Last one here. This one is Andrew, D- Andrew Diaz. Where did you get this one? Um, what tasty matchup are you projecting for Liberty? No, I'm not going to read that one. Oh, I actually have some thoughts on that. Go ahead. All right, you can do that one next. Okay. This one from Michael Potter. Assuming Ohio State doesn't get in six regular season games and becomes ineligible, 
uh, to compete in the Big Ten Conference game. If the playoff committee picks them over a second SEC team, blah, 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 how will you demonstrate your frustration? I'm expecting another Marler rant like he did during the summer with the Big Ten. I, I honestly, like, I, like I, I will write a letter to a congressman. I, I will, like, I'm not going to boycott watching the game. And, and, and honestly, looking at their stats and watching that team play, part of me wants them to make it in the playoff because I think Bama will absolutely destroy them. Like, I mean, like, my, Mac Jones will put up 500 yards against that defense. Kyle Trask will put up 600 yards. I just don't think it's fair for them to get in at all. And, and, and the whole thing about them having, well, you know, we know it's going to happen. Like, we don't need to see them play more games. You, yes, yes, the F you do, because we've seen in the past them play teams like Iowa and Purdue and lose by 30. You know something that we haven't brought up yet? A&M, if it were to get in, and Bama, if it were to get in, one four matchup. Or also potentially Clemson Notre Dame two three matchup. Would they really want to see that <laughs> matchups that we've already seen before? Obviously, this yeah. is you know it would take a, a very distinct set of events for this to happen. But what are the odds that Notre Dame and Clemson face for the third time, and then Bama and A and M face for the second time? We've never had a rematch in the playoff. I mean, you couldn't drop Clemson if they won that game, right? I mean, you really couldn't drop Notre Dame. That's a good point. I just feel like we're really discounting Florida because I think Florida could could really, like, realistically beat Alabama. You're saying it. All right. I mean, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that offense. I've seen our defense. I, but, like, that's a really good point. And also, I don't think A&M matches up very well with any of those teams. I'm not sure that they Notre do. Dame? If you're – if. If you're asked to win a playoff game, you're asked to score 40 points. And if I'm relying on that, when you kind of look around and you look at the quarterbacks one through six nationally, yeah. and you realize, oh, which one of these guys doesn't belong? We're talking about Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Ian Book, Justin Fields, Kyle Trask, and Kellen Mond. Just yeah, saying. That's fair. Just that's saying. Fair. All right, let's end with this. Bonus Liberty Nugget. I said there wouldn't be any more Liberty. Lies. There's always more Liberty. Andrew Diaz asks, say Ohio State. Oh, that's what we just answered. That's what we just asked. He says, what tasty matchup are you projecting for Liberty, assuming we have a bowl season outside of the college football playoff, which we will, by the way. Who yeah. would you take and um, or who would you like to see play the Flames? Gasp. Auburn, perhaps? Is there a restriction on who they can play because they are independent? It's funny you bring that up, Andrew, because Brett McMurphy yesterday threw out this possibility of a 10-1 Liberty team not getting invited yeah. to the bowl. Because, hey, when you're an independent team, you don't have those conference affiliations. You only have secondary options for the bowl. Now, Liberty has some secondary options. They have, like, the, the Lawnmowers Bowl, like, you know, the yes, Bahamas Bowl. Bro. Yeah, that's what, that's what it is. They have these secondary bowl options, but it's kind of a free-for-all this year. Like, Tennessee is talking about whether or not it's going to accept a bowl bid, despite the fact that it only has two wins. There's a realistic scenario in which you could see Tennessee get a bowl invite instead of a team like Liberty. So I would love, 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 love to see them play Auburn. I really, really would. Because if Auburn gets left outside of the of the New Year's Six Bowl and which it is a bit of a free-for-all, then theoretically that could happen. Malik Willis flex game. I would maybe get a Malik Willis tattoo if they were to beat Sorry, what? Auburn. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, um, but I would no, love I mean, to see. I would love to see them play a team like that. I just want to see them play another Power Five team, and so I can say Malik Willis is at least the eighth best best quarterback in the SEC. I get, okay. I I don't think. 
I mean, if, if, has Auburn ever had to play like a, a group of five school and in a bowl game like that? Matter? You know the answer to this. You know the I'm answer. Just asking to this. the question. Birmingham um, Bowl. Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, I, I would love that matchup as well. I, I, I think it's an absolute joke that some of these teams are going like, to accept bowl bids with like two, like what, two wins, three wins? Like, I mean, if you're three and four, maybe. I just what? thought of the other, I thought of the other matchup. And if you're looking, okay. So if this is truly a free-for-all, and if I, Connor O'Gara, had a bowl game and I could just kind of pick Texas. and choose, even better. If I can pick and choose a bowl game, Ole Miss, Liberty. Oh, that'd be fun. Fun because not only do you get the Hugh Freeze reunion, of course, but we get to watch Malik Willis dominate that Ole Miss defense yeah. and throw for – they would both throw for a billion yards. That would be like my favorite bowl game, including the playoff. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love yeah, to see that. I'd like that. Ole Miss I, I just, I'm so confused by all this too because it's like – I tweeted out the other day and I was barely kidding. If, you, if you're a two-win team and you accept a bowl bid, like you should have to pay for all your own swag. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, you, you can you come to the bowl this. game, but we're not giving you a backpack <laughs> and like a free fossil watch. Like, I mean, get the out of here, man. Anyway, what about an Apple Watch? Allie just got an Apple Watch, and I'm already over it. Like, I love my Apple Watch. I'm you have one? You've, you've seen me look down at this for forever. She so she she already bought my Christmas gift. It's a new computer, and then promptly right afterwards bought herself a new Apple Watch. And I was like, I'm already that's feeling a inferior. sick flex. That's a sick flex. She's, she's a pretty impressive person. Yeah. I love the Apple Watch. Can't go a day without it now. All right. Thank you for submitting questions, everybody who has. If you're not yet, you should totally be following our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. If you're not following us on all forms of social media right now, I don't know what you're doing. It's December. It's December, Marler. I don't know when that happened, but it somehow Dude. is time is a tricky thing that I have still not figured out yet, but there will it's be like football. Son of a bitch. Over under one snowflake that we see in an SEC football game this weekend. We were snowing here yesterday in Atlanta. I, hopefully, hopefully it's over one. Um, also, it's almost Christmas time, which means you guys need to get on over to the SDS and Breaking Tea. Uh, what do you call it? Little shop that we have set up. Go to the go to the website. Obviously, SaturdayOnSouth.com, and there's a million links to it. Uh, and some really good stuff we got coming out. I'm really great, hoping great that there, there's going to be a, a T-shirt that I have in the works for this Saturday night. We'll see what happens. Ooh, you haven't even told me about that yet. It says Go Tigers. What f you. Ah, don't know. It's being workshopped. Yeah, we'll see. Get the PG-13 version of that. All right, Marler, been fun. Got a fun weekend ahead. Looking forward to it. What do we need to remember? Go Tigers, what? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to. You know what? Have a great weekend, guys. Especially